When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, we're back. It's a Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Michael Remus in here in the host chair for Hustler, who's away. He'll be back next week. Actually, programming note, we'll be on Tuesday. No show Monday. Uh, Louis Riel Day here in Winnipeg. So uh, we're taking it off. And we'll be back Tuesday. The Jets actually do play Monday afternoon uh, against Calgary. But the next game is tomorrow night in Vancouver. And we're going to be spending a lot of our show today looking ahead to that. Uh, So before we get going, shout out to the sponsors. Hey, without them, wouldn't be here doing this. So Canadian Club, Modern Man, Manitoba Battery. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Little Brown Jack, Boston Pizza, Sport Manitoba, and Coolbed. Great show lined up. Pack show. Lots of guests. Connor Rapjack's going to hop in with me off the top here very shortly. And then Jeff Patterson of Sakaris and Price Rink Y. Let's hear about the Vancouver Canucks, the Jets' next opponent. Uh, 80 points in 55 games. Last year they had 81 points. In 82 games, what's, what's, how did this turnaround happen? So we'll talk with Jeff. Ken Weeb on the Jets, the latest on them. Hacksaw on the NFL. Some offseason news. I saw Jimmy G suspended, but some Super Bowl recap and looking ahead to the offseason of the draft with Hacksaw. And Chad uh, Posthumous, the beast from River East. He's back with the Sea Bears for year two. So lots to get to. And, of course, a marble race at the end of the show. How could we forget? It is Friday. So someone will be winning a Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie. In that, uh, time to bring in Connor Rabchek. Connor, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing good. Um, yeah, busy night in the NHL last night and no Jets to kind of take the attention away. So caught up on a lot of teams outside the league and it was, it was a good night. But yeah, doing good. Yeah, 12 games. Last night around the NHL, great time if you have the package and you're going around from team to team watching a number of games. And, you know, the NHL, they love scheduling games only on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And you would think tonight would be a prime opportunity with NBA All-Star break if you wanted to watch the shooting stars competition, whatever, rising stars game, whatever it's called. Uh, NFL, that's done. MLB spring training hasn't started, but... One game, one game tonight in the NHL, uh, Carolina and Arizona, not exactly two marquee teams. I don't know. The NHL's got to figure it out. It is on, it is on Sportsnet, so you can watch it. But, Connor, what's the NHL doing here with the scheduling? One game on a Friday night. I was ready. Like, oh, the Jets are playing. I'll kick back and watch a couple of games. There's one game on. What am I supposed to do tonight? 
well, you're supposed to watch the NBA. Oh, wait, they're not playing. Oh, wait, MLB hasn't started yet. NFL's done. Like, this makes no sense. The, the Tuesday, Thursday loading up during the NFL season, during the NBA season, um, like the NBA, whatever, you're going to have to compete with them. But that kind of makes sense because, you know, at least you're not taking up the weekend. NFL takes up Sundays completely. But now, like, MLB hasn't started yet. NFL's done. Uh spread these games out like we don't need 12 games a night on tuesday thursdays and then one friday night game um i i don't like it because i think 12 games is too much like i can't watch every game Mm -hmm. Uh, like i can only watch maybe two of every slate at at best maybe passively watch two um and then yeah i guess i can lock in fully lock into coyotes hurricanes tonight which is just gonna be so much fun um thanks nhl for for doing that all right shout out to some people in chat it's your boy bruce bruce says he's going to pantera as i put up the horns pantera is that what you do at the i've been to slayer where i screamed slayer uh the whole night uh shout out to phyllis and mc stormy saying big pwhl game tonight and we've been hearing about this i talked with joe pascucci earlier scotiabank arena hosting PWHL Montreal and Toronto, expecting a massive sold-out crowd there. So at 6 o'clock Central Time, uh, that would be an option. I think they have all those games on YouTube and uh, television as well. But we did have a number of games yesterday and a number of stories, but let's go with the one that impacts the Jets. Now, we were on the show yesterday you know how dare us criticize a Winnipeg Jets one nothing win, saying they couldn't score over the San Jose Sharks, who give up the most goals in the league. They only won one nothing. What is? It? They got thirty eight or thirty nine shots and scored once. What is this pathetic performance? I'm exaggerating a little. But I don't. We didn't call it pathetic, but <laughs> you look yeah. back differently now on the Jets' performance. Now that they just went in on the second game of back-to-back, and this is like a must-win for the Flames. They beat up on the Flames 6-3, and, you know, they only got uh, 17 shots against the Jets. They got 31 yesterday against Calgary. Has your opinion on the Jets' <laughs> one nothing win changed now that you see San Jose uh, win over Calgary? Not, not really. I mean, I did see a, a quote come from Mackenzie Weger. I know you and I talked about it on Wednesday's show that the game that night would be like cookie night, like Drew Doughty. We joke, um, yeah. he said. But but Mackenzie Weger after the game actually said something similar. Like uh, I thought our team came in and thought this was going to be an easy game. Um, so they thought it was going to be you know run up the score, but no, they got blown out at home. Like you said, a must win. Calgary's going to sell a lot of their pending UFAs at the deadline. But if they were to win and be in a playoff spot, they might not do that. But clearly, they're just they're they're not close uh, in the West, at least from the teams that are in the West uh, playoff spots and kind of pushing. Does it change my opinion on the Jets' win on Wednesday? Not really. I still maintain that I think on Wednesday the Jets got a bit unlucky. I think looking at the analytics, they they generated four point three expected goals and only scored one. Uh, Rick Bonus said after the game they had eighty four shot attempts. Uh, They had 24 high danger chances and one goal, like 24 high danger chances and one goal. Like it just, it's mind boggling that they only won one nothing Uh, because again, obviously I was at that game talking to the players and coach after they dominated that game. That game was in San Jose, San Jose's end the whole time. And yes, they were close. Mark Shifley made a big save and they were close to being tied, but it wasn't for a lack of effort and a lack of offense generated. 
Um, I think they just got unlucky on Wednesday because the stats, the analytics would all say that they completely dominated and generated more than enough offense. Um, but give the props to the goaltender, I guess. Kakinen played out of his mind. Yeah, Nino Niederreiter, totally snake bit a number of guys. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Connor, Mark Schaefer, four shot seats. The chances were there. They dominated the play. Couldn't score. I think if they weren't in the middle of this goal scoring slump, you'd be like, you know, you'd be able to look past it. But it's just, I think it was kind of the same issues creeping up. And you're like, ah, oh, this is San Jose. It's supposed to be cookie night against San Jose. And uh, we saw yesterday San Jose can bring, they brought it against the Jets all year. Connor, you just put this out at the hockey writers. Uh, Jets offense, you were talking about the Jets offensive slump, many contributing factors, which you had to pick. The biggest one. What are you? What are you going here? What's the biggest factor I, here for the Jets' uh, offensive slump? I think it's pretty obviously the power play was the biggest thing. I kind of touched on there. I also touched touched on their kind of reluctancy to put back the Ehlers Shifley Velarde line that dominated in December when Kyle Carner was out. But the thing I spent the most time on was the power play. Um, the Jets have been a dominant five on five team this year. That is a fact. But in terms of offense, it. They haven't been dominant. Like they're they're one they're historically good defensively. They went 34 straight games allowing three goals or less. So that is not in question. But in terms of five on five goals for, they're actually 17th in the NHL. And when you when you have a power play that's 14%, I think was the latest number, 14.3%. That's not making up for what is average goal scoring at five on five. Um, this this is gonna happen at times where you go stretches of nine goals in eight games, even though you played the Sharks. Um, And like I said, they generated a ton. Uh, I said, even in the article, there's a lot of good things recently. The Pittsburgh game, I thought they generated a ton in the first and third period. The San Jose game, I thought they generated a ton for 60 minutes. I'm not saying this, that it wasn't like a panic article. I'm just saying that the power play needs to get better because the the truth is 17th and five on five goals for is not, elite it's it's good when you're this good defensively um it works it's fine but the power play needs to pick up some of the slack and i think we're going to be talking about the man advantage for months until the playoffs begin and maybe even through the playoffs and into the offseason depending on how how much it costs them down the stretch here yeah we're not in any panic mode the jets are you know fourth in the western conference third in the in the division and a uh, real test, and uh, Bobby B. in Chet says, tomorrow will tell the state of Jets Nation. Big measuring stick game, big litmus test game. Uh, yeah. Vancouver Canucks, they're number one in the league. They're, they're red hot. There they are, 80 points, best points percentage, too. So they're rejoicing in Vancouver. But we talked about the Jets moving on to 12 games around the league last night. What, what? Okay, a lot of games. Which game stood out to you uh, when you were uh, channel surfing last night? I mean, we already talked about that San Jose-Calgary game. That one was really interesting, especially I kept kind of flipping to it and was like, oh, San Jose's like winning. They're in this. Um, Connor Bedard was back last night with a bubble. Um, that was fun to watch. In the first period, he didn't do much, but if, if people in chat, I don't know if they watched that game, the second period, he was just all over it. Um, Chicago's had a lot of goal scoring issues when he's been out. So it was fun to watch him kind of just dominate in his first game back. It was pretty cool. Matthew's got another hat trick. He's got 45 goals on the season. Um, that game, Toronto and Philly went to overtime, I believe. And, and at least one, four, three, that was another great game. 
Um, and then the, the Dallas Stars beat the Nashville Predators 9-2. to two. And uh, and Matt Duchesne was performing at Tootsie's after the game. So he scored two goals for Dallas and then went and performed like kind of a country live hit at uh, at Tootsie's nearby. Um, so that, that was funny to see online. But that was kind of what stood out to me. And then we can get into the, the Blake Wheeler stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Went down with a pretty nasty looking injury. Um, you hate to see that longtime captain of the Jets, obviously. But for the good news, you know, Matthews, Bedard, um, and that Sharks game kind of really on my eye yeah chicago the jets are going to be playing them uh coming up shortly and you know they've had trouble scoring goals and putting a guy like bedard back in lineup will definitely uh, add a little scoring uh just on austin matthews fifth hat trick of the season 45 goals in 51 games could we see him hit 70 uh previous so, I'll, I'll just add he's on yeah. he's on pace for 72 Crazy. and this is this was a tweet from james myrtle uh, of the athletic 45 goals in 52 games Austin Matthews has that hasn't been done since 1996 when Mario Lemieux did it. So like Ooh. he's scoring at a pace we've never seen and, and uh, it, or in a long time I've never seen, I haven't been, I wasn't alive in 1996. So I guess I can say <laughs> I haven't seen a guy score at this pace in my life. Um, and him being on pace for 72 goals in the year 2024 is just nuts. So it, it, it uh, it's the Leafs, but it is very fun to watch. I, I must admit. Five hat tricks this season leading the league. You mentioned uh, Mario Lemieux in 95-96. He had six hat tricks that year, and he's the third guy uh, at Matthews to have five hat tricks in the last 30 years. The other player, Jonathan Chichu in 05-06. You can thank Joe Thornton uh, for setting him up. Chichu just planned himself beside the net. Thornton would find him. And and, uh, that was a great connection that year. I think it was Art Ross. Rocket Richard, you mentioned Crosby scored twice as 12th career 30 goal season. Oh, passing Mar- who? Mario Lemieux for the most 30 goal seasons in Penguins history. And Pittsburgh's trying to hang on to a wild card spot. I'm very curious what they're going to do at the deadline. Jake Gensel, uh, he's going to be out for a bit. He's on IR. I'm curious if they trade him. Some talk about using uh, a third party broker. It's the term that they use to facilitate a trade he's got a big cap hit we're keeping an eye here or there was the uh yeah dallas you mentioned matt duchene putting up nine uh and then the other ones the western wild card very interesting the kings with a big win over the devils the blues scoring big against edmonton and they've kind of faltered here since the break and the kraken uh they beat they win in boston which was a bit of a surprise to me, but for Edmonton, were you one of those guys who thought, oh, Edmonton, during the 16-game win streak, they didn't beat any anyone good? I don't know. Where's your, what are your thoughts on the Oilers? Because I think there are some real concerns about the depth on their roster. Yeah, I think the, the concerns, their strength of schedule, all those things are valid. I also think to win 16 straight games in the NHL is pretty freaking hard. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I'm not discrediting that. Um, we talked about, I, I mean, I don't even know if in hindsight it was true, but we talked about how the break came at a good time for the Winnipeg Jets. The break coming at a bad time is what you're seeing with the Edmonton Oilers, like the flip side of that. Um, winning 16 straight games, you don't want to stop playing. Uh, like, no, no matter what, you want to keep going. Um, and you want to keep rolling through teams. But yeah, they've come back. They lost to Vegas. I believe they lost 4 nothing to LA. Yep. Um, who, yeah, they beat uh, they beat New Jersey last night and Edmonton. So LA may be turning a corner a bit. 
with the coaching change. I know they lost seven, nothing uh, to the Sabres once, but yeah, they're up and down. Um, but yeah, Edmonton, like maybe the break came at a bad time for them. They were on a tear. They stopped playing. Now they're kind of regressing back and losing to some playoff teams. And th- those concerns are valid that, you know, yes, they dominated. They won 16 straight games, but against who? But again, 16 straight games in the NHL is pretty freaking hard. So I, uh, I'm i not going to discredit that. But yeah, break came at a bad time for Edmonton. I would agree. Yeah, they lost to their, what, 3-3 three and three here since the break, losing 6-3 last night to St. Louis. One other game might have been the game of the night or Colorado, Tampa, Tampa debuting their new sweet, uh, you know, but original season tribute jerseys, uh, Nikita Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon, two guys going for the Art Ross trophy, going head to head. Kucherov three points yesterday, McKinnon two. Kucherov's got a three or four point lead on McKinnon, but there's Connor McDavid lurking behind after his six point night the other night. He's got 13 behind Kucherov. So I don't know, he's lurking. I think. I think he might be, it, he's going to make it close. There's still a lot of games left, and you know oh, guys yeah. can get hurt. Uh, yeah, and, and he's he's been playing at a 150 point pace um, for the better part of two months now. Like he had that slow start, he had a little knee injury, I think. Came back, didn't really look like the same explosive McDavid that we've seen for many many years now. And now he's all the way back, like you said, six point night, six assist night the other night. So he's playing at an unreal pace as he usually does. I mean, for him, it's not unreal because he put up 150 points last season. But yeah, I, I think he's going to make it close. 13 points. That's uh, McDavid could have another six point night, and Kucherov has maybe a one point night, and boom, he's like almost halfway there, just like that after one game. So I'm excited to watch the the Art Ross and the Hart Trophy race down the stretch here. Yeah, our Ross Hart Trophy race, and we're going to wrap it up here. We've got Jeff Patterson coming up to talk Canucks, but I want to ask you, what was the best chirp of the night last night? Was it Jack Hughes yelling at Victor Arvidsson in the penalty box, people pay to watch me play, or Nikita Zadorov mocking Jake Wallman of the Red Wings with his gritty imitation? That's uh, the dance uh, for the for people who uh, don't know, G-R-I-D-D. <laughs> Why? Which one are you? Which one are you taking there? The thing is, like, I, I, in theory, Zadarov doing the gritty is better, but he just butchered it completely. I don't know if he if he meant to butcher it, but it just didn't come off right. Um, so I, I'll have to go with Jack Hughes on this one. But it was entertaining. Like things like this are are awesome. I mean, um, we talked about the Ridley Greg slap shot, and obviously the end result wasn't awesome from that but you you see these chirps you see um things carrying over from game to game like the gritty and you see players taking slap shots into empty nets like what is happening post all-star break here in the in the nhl yeah loving it guys mocking each other and no one got uh cross-checked in the head from it either which uh we we don't want to see that appeal i think is that appeal going down today in front of gary bedman that's the real in-person appeal the Leafs bringing in all their hot team of high-priced lawyers to try to knock yep. that suspension. Now, Riley giving up 200K in salary for his suspension. Connor, uh, it was great talking with you. We'll uh, hook up again towards the end of the show. Uh, thanks again for hopping on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you in a bit. And uh, excited to watch these guests here. Yeah, there you go. And We'll get to Jeff Patterson, get the inside scoop on the Vancouver Canucks. But first, uh, here's Huss.
Hey, gang, if you want to clean it up a little bit and get looking good, uh, you got to head over to our friends at Modern Man Barbershops with eight locations conveniently located throughout Winnipeg, including the newest locations on Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. Modern Man has you covered with a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Make an appointment and book your look via modernmanbarber.com and follow them on Instagram at Modern Man Barber Shops. Uh, big shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery as well. Donnie and the gang getting set to open up later this month their second Winnipeg location on Dover Court over in the south side of Manitoba, which means folks in the south end will have an even easier time popping by Manitoba Battery. But as we've been telling you on Winnipeg Sports Talk, you really don't need to leave your home because not only will you shop local and get the lowest prices in town, bottom line, beating the pants off the big box stores, Manitoba Battery will deliver your batteries to you anywhere inside the perimeter for free with any purchase over $60. It's just that easy. Stay tuned for grand opening details and sales specials. But in the meantime, for all your battery needs, go to manitobabattery.com or give them a call at 204-783-8787. We are, of course, counting down the days to February 29th when we're looking forward to teaming up with our great friends and sponsors at Canadian Club and the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival to uh, take over the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame for the Canadian Whiskey Masterclass event. And, of course, watch the Jets take on the Dallas Stars. Uh, the event is sold out thanks to everyone that uh, is going to come and see us. We can't wait to see you that night as well. In the meantime, for more uh, information on the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival, check it out online. And when you're at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts, make sure to check out the Canadian Club display for all of Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club. And remember, always enjoy responsibly. And uh, hey, I should also give a shout out to uh, the gang down at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. You know, they're getting ready for a big, big summer of 2024. If you are looking for an incredible fly-in fishing experience where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the spot featuring world-class fishing. And as great as the fishing is, the hospitality of the Turen family and the Aikens team is even better. Find out more about availability and booking for 2024 at AikensLake.com. Be sure to check them out online on X and Instagram at Aikens Lake. And us, he'll be back next week from vacation. And hey, if you're here just enjoying the show, reminder, hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button. Tells everyone here. Tells YouTube, actually. Hey, we're putting out some good content. Maybe we'll show it to more people. And we'll find some, uh, some new viewers who'll stumble on this. It's all about the algorithm. They'll, they'll put whatever uh, in front of you, and maybe someone will click on it. Anyways, thanks, everyone, for coming in. We're looking forward to Jets, Canucks here Saturday. Big tilt. The two top Canadian teams in the NHL. I'm so pumped to be joined by Jeff Patterson with... Rink wide and Sakaris and Price to get some more insight on the Vancouver Canucks. Jeff, how's it going? Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, great to catch up. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, looking forward to this Jets Canucks meeting on Saturday. The Canucks currently first in the league, but it's been quite a turnaround for them. Last year, they finished out of the playoffs with only 83 points, and you know all season. Right now, uh, they got. 80 points after 55 games, but they fired the coach, traded the captain, but it seems like the roster is the same. What's, 
What's the big reason for this turnaround this year? Yeah, I think Rick Talkett deserves a fair bit of credit. Uh, I will admit I was a little skeptical when they made the trade. I had kind of fallen in and been drinking the Kool-Aid of Bruce, who, you know, Bruce Boudreaux was such a, a good, honest man and so much fun to be around and to, to watch. Uh, but there was one end of the ice that he focused on, and that was uh, the offense, and this team couldn't. Uh, keep pucks out of its net to save its life. Now, some of that was Thatcher Demko got hurt, but I think that's giving last year's group a bit of a pass if you're just saying, oh, it was because they didn't have adequate goaltending. They didn't have adequate goaltending, but they had a lot of failures elsewhere. And so when this organization made the move uh, last January to uh, send Bruce Packing and bring Rick Tockett in, it gave Tockett 36 games down the stretch to incorporate his systems and structure became almost a punchline in Vancouver because they had been lacking structure under Bruce Boudreaux, and the only way they could win hockey games was if they scored five or six goals. Well, Tocket came in and cleaned up a lot of the mess and you know, took them back to boot camp, essentially, and really drilled down the way that he wanted to play. And the hope was, by making that move last year, he'd have the 36 games down the stretch, Connor Bedard and your lottery odds be damned. Uh, this was about putting things in place that would allow this team to excel. And so, really, from the start of training camp, they hit the ground running. They understood what the coach wanted and needed. Uh, Rick Tockett constantly talks about his non-negotiables and his staples. And, you know, a lot of that is just taking away the the tough areas of the ice uh, defensively, making sure that uh, the Canucks used to get torched nightly with cross-seam passes and uh, either penalty kill was an absolute disaster and so it really has been night and day, and they have cut things down uh, defensively to the point where they're not at the Jets level, uh, but they're not that far off. Uh, I think they're third in the National Hockey League in terms of raw goals given up, uh, tied with Boston and behind only Florida and, and Winnipeg. And then they're one of the highest scoring teams in the National Hockey League. And so uh, all of this that Tockett has brought here uh, hasn't come at the expense of anybody's offense to the point that you know, Elias Pettersson is fifth in the league in scoring. JT Miller's tied for seventh. They're both on pace for more than 100 points. And Quinn Hughes has, his production has dropped a little bit since the All-Star break. But, I mean, he's got 66 points as a defenseman and is still uh, well within uh, the possibilities that he could have a 100-point season as well after his 76-point season last year. So, top end has been terrific and really consistent. The next wave, the depth that they brought in to support the Stars, that's been lacking over the last bunch of years here in Vancouver. And uh, through it all, Thatcher Demko picked up his 30th win of the season against the Detroit Red Wings on Thursday night. 30 wins in 40 starts for Demko. Pretty hard to argue with that. So they've had elite goaltending and add that to all the other ingredients that I mentioned. And uh, it all adds up to just uh, an incredible, incredible, and I will say surprisingly so, uh, incredible season out here on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, what a turnaround. And it's kind of funny looking at the team this year. They have, it's a lot of the same players. You have the elite center, elite forwards, and Elias Pedersen, uh, JT Miller, uh, Quinn Hughes, you know, elite defenseman. You mentioned elite goaltending with Thatcher Demko. So it's great. It's almost shocking that they were so bad last season. But if you had to pick an MVP from the team this year, which one are you going to go with? It seems like it would be a tough choice as they had, what, six? All-stars yeah. after the Lindholm trade? Yeah, they had five of their own, plus yeah. the coach, and then uh, added Elias Lindholm into the mix, and he was terrific last night and has been a nice add already. Uh, but I think Quinn Hughes is the MVP, and that may surprise some on the outside just looking at the gaudy point totals of Elias Pettersson and JT Miller and Brock Besser, you know, 30 goals for the first time in his career, and we haven't even touched on him. Mm -hmm. But 
Quinn Hughes has leveled up. They named him the captain in the offseason. Some thought, all right, maybe too much too soon for a young guy that, you know, isn't the most vocal, but he has taken his game to another level. And I wasn't sure that that was in there uh, for Quinn Hughes. And that wasn't me doubting him. The guy had 76 points last year. And I thought, man, like if that's the baseline and he can give the Canucks a decade of, you know, 75 point type seasons from the back end, uh, you know, we're talking about Hall of Fame career. Uh, and as I said, I mean, he's uh, right now, I think he's on pace for 98 points, but if the power play heats up again, can easily get back onto a pace that would have him uh, pushing 100 points by season's end. So uh, he's just the way that he has taken over games, controls games. People still doubt whether this guy can defend, but he spends the entire night, most nights, up ice in the offensive end and doesn't have to defend. And that's his superpower. And that's, you know, the modern defenseman in today's NHL. It's not about crushing guys and, you know, standing on your ground in front of the net and cross-checking and whatever. I mean, he, he has to defend on occasion, but uh, the goal differential... Uh, the underlying numbers, they all support this idea that he doesn't defend much because he doesn't spend much time in his offense in the defensive zone. When he gets the puck, he's a one-man breakout machine, jumps up into the attack. He's added goal scorings at 12 this year. That's a career high for him, the first time that he's ever been in double digits. And so it's no longer just a passing threat that he has incorporated. You know, he talked about how much he worked on his shot last year in the offseason at home with his brothers. And it wasn't about you know, big slap shots. He's not ever going to be Al McKinnis. He talked about working on his release points and the changing the angles. And you see the way Austin Matthews scores so many of his goals. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Quinn Hughes is going to score at the rate that Austin Matthews does, but so much of it is deception and, you know, pulling pucks into you and changing angles and fooling goaltenders and those types of things. And that was something that he worked on a lot last summer. Also, just that explosive first stride so that he can get a step on a guy. He knows where he wants to go. He's got that advantage. And if he can get a step on that first wave of defenders, then he can attack the net. We've seen that a lot from Quinn Hughes this season. And so uh, he's just leveled up in so many areas including uh, adding the leadership element of the captain and uh, the results speak for themselves uh, for him individually, but also uh, for this hockey club. Yeah. Quinn Hughes leading all defensemen in points with 66, but I scroll down the list and at number 10 is Phil Hronik at 41 points in 55 games. I mean, what has he brought to the team? Because they made that trade last year and I was like, what are they doing trading a, a first round pick? You know, for a defensive, they should be trying to rebuild. What is this? But it's this trade seems to have worked out uh, really well and and really solidified them into one of the top uh, defense pairs in the NHL. Yeah, and it was funny at the time because they traded Bo Horvat and yeah. they got a first rounder from the Islanders, and people were like, "All right, you know, they've got two first rounders. This is going to be the rebuild." And two weeks later, sort of out of nowhere, and Patrick Alvin loves to operate under a cone of silence. Like they don't, they've worked so hard to prevent leaks from getting out. You know, he doesn't negotiate in the media, and that trade really came out of the blue. And at the time, a lot of people were like, okay, Philip Aronik, good player, but why is Detroit moving off a 25-year-old right-shot defenseman when, you know, we hear so much about uh, right-shot D being this precious commodity? And he came to Vancouver and had an injured shoulder. He played four games last season. And so uh, even though he was in the fold, he was like a lot of the other players at training camp that were essentially new to this organization. And so, you know, when we talk about some of the improvements and areas of improvement, Hironik's been huge on the penalty kill. Uh, but really, he, he's just an all-around good player. And it's funny because in a market like Vancouver, which is dissimilar to Winnipeg, any of the Canadian markets, you know, there's so much attention, the demands on these players. 
And we heard about this, that in Detroit, Philip Roenick just he doesn't speak to the media, that he somehow has managed to pull off this magic act that he's in the locker room, but he just declines any interview request. And so he really is this sort of international man of mystery who just goes out and lets his actions speak for themselves. You know, he's hard to play against. He's physical defensively. Uh, he's got a bomb of a shot. Uh, we all kind of wondered, would this be in the best interest of the Vancouver Canucks to load up on a on a Quinn hughes philip Aronic pairing? And uh, a lot of, you know, Hughes does a lot of the heavy lifting there. But in his return to Detroit last weekend, uh, Philip Aronic had a goal and two assists and probably his best game of the season. And maybe it was inspired by going back to Motown, whatever the case. Uh, you know, it's not fair to him to say it's all Quinn Hughes. That I think playing with Quinn Hughes has allowed them to juice their offense. But most of his production has come five on five. He doesn't get a lot of power play time or whatever power play time he gets is on a second unit that's been pretty ineffective and really been held off the score sheet almost all season long. So uh, somebody pointed out the other day that up until Connor McDavid had six assists the other night against the Red Wings, that Philip Heronik led the National Hockey League in five on five assists this year. And I had to look that up, but apparently that is the case. So uh, he gets the bulk of his work done uh, at five on five at even strength. And yeah, I mean, you know, a right shot guy, the right side of their defense has really been one of the weak points. Uh, obviously, adding Quinn Hughes a few years ago has allowed them to start to build up the left side of their defense, but they bought out Oliver Ekman Larson after last season. So it really was sort of this idea of what's this back end going to look like? And, uh, you know, they added Ian Cole, a guy that this uh, management and coaching staff was familiar with from their time in Pittsburgh. You know, he's a veteran. He's going to be 35 here soon, but he's been a terrific ad, just low maintenance, a true pro through and through with some championship pedigree. So it's been heroic. It's been Ian Cole, Noah Juleson, who, you know, a local guy from the Fraser Valley here, but a uh, former Montreal Canadiens first round draft pick. He's really coming to his own as well. And sort of as a depth pair, sixth defenseman uh, who kills penalties on a league minimum contract. Like he's been a nice addition as well. So, they really have had the Midas touch. Uh, whoever they brought in, you know, credit to their pro scouting department, guys like Teddy Bluger and Pia Suter uh, in the offseason. Just about every player that they have added to this mix has been a seamless fit and has found ways to contribute in their own right. Sam Lafferty's another guy in double-digit goals from essentially a, a bottom six guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can see why they went out and they added Elias Lindholm. They were already a good team, and then they found the guy that they wanted, made the trade, and he's come in and a couple of two-goal games, including last night against Detroit. So uh, everybody that has been added to this mix this season has found a role and has found a way to contribute. Yeah, you mentioned you know a number of these moves made by GM Patrick Alvin. It seems like he was just hired, but it's been a little over two years on the job, and he was rewarded at the end of last month with a, with a three-year extension. Uh, yep. what, what do you make of the job that he's done so far? I mean, I guess you've touched on a couple moves, but you have to be impressed with the job that he's done that I think he earned that extension. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you know, he had worked with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, and so Rutherford was looking for an opportunity to, to promote him and, and give him an opportunity to be a, a general manager in the National Hockey League. And again, he, he operates in silence. I can't sit here and tell you that I feel like I know the man individually. <laughs> he spends very little time around the media. And when he is kind of forced to do uh, that side of the job, you know, he steps up to the microphones, but there isn't a lot of small talk before or afterwards. 
And he has really sort of kept his distance. And that's the way he wants to operate, and that's fine. I mean, he's going to get judged by the product he puts on the ice. And, again, it's hard to argue with a first-place team that has 80 points after 55 games. So uh, I think his pro scouting department deserves a ton of credit, and that had been an area of weakness uh, under Jim Benning when you just think of the number of players that this organization brought in. And, again, Pedersen and Hughes and Miller and Besser and Demko have all been here, that core group. But – you know, it's not enough. Ask Edmonton if it's enough just to have McDavid and Dry settle. You have it's a team game, and you got to surround your star players with guys that play their roles and can contribute. And so, I think that's what uh, Alvin and Rutherford have done. You know, better than just about anything else. Uh, they inherited a bit of a cap mess, obviously, uh, and that necessitated the OEL buyout, which was a big risk, and it needed ownership's approval, obviously, to write that check to make Oliver Ekman Larson basically go away. And they're going to feel the effects. Uh, he's going to be on the books for eight more years, so. Uh, it's not like he's gone entirely, but uh, the ghost of Jim Benning and the ghost of OEL will live on here in Vancouver, <laughs> but it gave them flexibility in the short term to go out and make some of those moves that we talked about, whether it was Teddy Bluger, whether it was Pia Suter, uh, adding a, a guy like Ian Cole, you know, and through it all, uh, and people in Winnipeg certainly familiar with Tyler Myers into the final year uh, of the contract that the Canucks gave him, which at the time everybody knew that that was going to be a, a difficult contract to extract any value out of. Tyler Myers is a good dude through and through. I think people recognize that. His teammates love him, but he was never going to be the $6 million defenseman uh, that he was paid to be. And But to the credit of guys like, you know, Adam Foote was brought in as an assistant coach, really his first time in a true coaching role in the National Hockey League. He had done some skills work elsewhere. He'd been a head coach in the Western Hockey League. But I think that was really fortunate for Rick Tockett and the organization that when, you know, they make the coaching move midseason, sometimes you're limited. Well, you're always limited to who's available. And quite often the best candidates are working elsewhere. But Adam Foote was looking to get into National Hockey League coaching. And his track record is beyond reproach, obviously, with what he did as a player. And he has been terrific working with the defense corps and just helping the guys that were here uh, guys that have come in and have had to assimilate. And so it's not just Rick Tockett. Uh, Rick Tockett and Adam Foote, and, and Tockett's quick to give Foote credit. But uh, I think Adam Foote has done a nice job sort of reinvigorating a, a guy like uh, Tyler Myers, you know, just getting him to play within himself. Because the biggest issue with Tyler Myers, I mean, he skates beautifully for a big man. Uh, his mistakes are loud. When you're six foot eight, uh, you stick out of the crowd, obviously. And he's been able to sort of just lower the volume on some of the mistakes that he used to make. Uh, play within himself. And, you know, they went out uh, just before Christmas and they got Nikita Zadorov from Calgary. So they've completed two trades with the Calgary Flames. And, you know, Zadorov is a big, big man who has brought a physical uh, element to this hockey club, some intimidation, got suspended the other day in Detroit to return to the lineup last night. And I do think that uh, ultimately, yeah, the game has changed, but uh, it's always going to be a contact sport. And if you have guys on the back end that are 6'6 six, six and 6'7, six, you know, it can make everybody feel just a little bit bigger and a little bit safer in their work environment. And Nikita Zadorov uh, certainly has done that. He scored against the Red Wings. His first goal as a Canuck. He wasn't brought in to generate a lot of offense, uh, but uh, he has been a nice fit as well. So, yeah, I mean, Patrick Alvin's done a nice job of assembling a contending roster uh, in a cap world. It's not always easy. And I think that uh, some of his lower key moves uh, have proven to be you know, as effective as some of the, the bigger, splashier moves that he has made. Yeah, Oliver Ekman Larson, what is 146,000 cap hit this year, but next year, 2.3 million, then two years of 4.7, yeah. but then back to 
2.1. And yeah, Tyler Myers in the last year of his six, what, $6 million AAV. And you mentioned Adam Foote. I also like the addition of Sergei Gonchar yep. as defensive development coach, you know, for someone who grew up watching hockey in the 90s. Couple couple legends there in Gonchar. Well, they've and, got, and like, Foote. they've got, yeah. And, and Daniel and Henrik aren't officially on the coaching staff, but yeah. they're on the ice almost every day with this group. And, uh, somebody did the math uh, with Gonchar and the Twins. They've got three guys that played over 1,300 games each in the National Hockey League, and Foot and Tockett are both up over 1,100 games. They've got like 6,000 NHL games of uh, playing experience on their coaching staff, and and I do think that means something. Like these guys have seen it all. They've been to the highest heights. They some of them have got their hands on the Stanley Cup. The Twins obviously got to a game seven, and I think there's just instant credibility with the players. Uh, you know, they can't question the pedigree and the caliber of the coaches that they've got. And so, uh, yeah, um, you know, just kind of quietly, they've assembled this coaching staff that I, I think has uh, demanded instant respect from the players. And, you know, those guys, like the Twins are out on the ice almost every day at practice. It's not uh, tokenism in terms of, oh, legends just wanted to stay around the, the team and in the organization to stay busy. Guys, they go to Abbotsford. They were on the ice when Phil Kessel was skating out in Abbotsford for the first time the other day. Uh, you know, it's a 45-minute drive if people haven't been here. So the geography works. It's not right downtown with the, the big league team, but it's not far. And give the Twins credit. Uh, I mean, they jump in traffic, rush hour traffic in the morning and get out to Abbotsford so that they can be on the ice with the Canucks farmhands as well. Yeah, it's a, that's pretty great to see a couple of Canucks legends sticking around. And you mentioned Phil Kessel. So they made the two trades. First, Zadorov, which I almost forgot about. That was in November. Elias Lindholm during the All-Star break, and they signed uh, Phil Kessel's with Abbotsford. Is he going to be the big addition to the Canucks, or are you expecting another move here before the deadline? Yeah, I think Kessel is still in the wait-and-see stage. He's had one skate, to the best of my knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday. Like, you know, the fact that he is willing to come here and well, he was spotted at the airport with his hockey gear, you know, he's not just here for a little uh, long weekend. Uh, I, I think he wants to resume his career. I mean, this is a guy that all these players towards the end, they don't want to, you know, have the game taken away from them. I think they want to go out on their own terms. But yeah, 36 and a half, he's been out of the game since last spring, and he only played four games for Vegas in the playoffs. He played 82 games in the regular season, but uh, the Golden Knights clearly felt that they had better options in the playoffs than fill the thrill. So, um, you know, it's one thing for him to decide that he wants to play, but he's got to show that after being out of the game for the better part of a year here, you know, you can skate on your own all you want or with a skills coach. Uh, I saw some video of him the other day in Abbotsford, and this is an AHL team that he was joining, you know, 50 games into their season, and he's playing catch-up. And boy, he looked all right in the drills, but between the drills, uh, <laughs> he was in some distress trying to, uh, get that fitness level where it needs to be. And again, that's an American League team, obviously a bigger jump to the National Hockey League. So I think he's serious about it, but I like the way that this is going. The Canucks have made absolutely no commitment. Uh, there's been no contract talk at this stage. It's all about you go to Abbotsford and you prove to us and show us that you've still got a little bit of game. Uh, you know, because right now they're running with 23 men on the roster. So there isn't even a spot for him without having to waive somebody. They've got to first place in the National Hockey League without Phil Kessel. They don't need Phil Kessel at this stage, but he's played for Rick Tockett before in both Pittsburgh and in Arizona. He's familiar with Jim Rutherford. And so I think there, there is a fit on that level, but he also has to understand that he's joining a good team and he's going to be a depth piece. Now, he went through that last year in Vegas in the playoffs, as we mentioned, so 
Uh, I think he understands at this stage of his career that it's not going to be about, I'm demanding a top six role. I want to be on the power play. I think it's uh, insurance, it's depth. Uh, you know, there is no roster limit after the trade deadline. So uh, I'm curious to see if he signs a PTO and actually plays some games for the Abbotsford Canucks. I think that's the next stage here. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're going on the road to California for a bunch of games. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, it certainly has people in the market talking. And I, I think it's low risk for the Canucks. Uh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, then no harm, no foul. And there's still a pretty good team that has time here ahead of the trade deadline to your question about are they done? Uh, Lindholm was their big fish, and he has stepped in and has four goals in the first six games that he's played. And, you know, finding a fit with Elias Pettersson and Nils Hoagland are on an all-Swedish line. Uh, but I do think, like any team that has designs on a long playoff run, that uh, depth at defense can still be upgraded. And so I would imagine that that is uh, still on the wish list that, you know, they've got guys. I talked about Noah Juleson, who's done a nice job for them. Carson Soucy's been injured for much of the year, but he's getting close to getting back in there. He was one of their big free agent signings when we talked about players that came in. But he's been injured on three separate occasions. Uh, so he'll come back and he'll step in and help them. But I think that in a perfect world, uh, if they could add one more and probably a right side guy. And, you know, the name Chris Tanev is out there, but Chris Tanev at this stage of his career isn't a depth guy. And if the reports are true that the Flames want a first rounder plus, I'm not sure that uh, the nostalgia of bringing Chris Tanev back to town is uh, worth that kind of price. But you talk about easy transitions for a guy that's been here and done that and has the total respect of the players and the teammates that he left behind when he went to Calgary. So I'm not discounting it entirely. Uh, but I'm not sure that they're looking for a guy that's going to play in their top four. I think at this stage with their cap uh, implications, they're probably eyeing somebody that would be, you know, sort of that six, seven, eight uh, depth guy that maybe doesn't play every single night, but but understands uh, why he's being brought in to uh, bolster a, an already pretty good defense core. Mm-hmm. And the uh, last one before we go, I think a lot of talk around Vancouver or uh, sorry, around uh, you know Vancouver's analytics is you know their shooting percentages are crazy high. Hoaglander, uh, Besser, J.T. Miller, Lafferty, Pedersen, Joshua, Piasuter, all over eighteen percent. I'm looking at the Jets; they don't even have one guy over fifteen percent. I mean, is there anything to be made of these? Everyone just getting the scoring bug, and you know, is this sustainable? That's been the comment of Vancouver all year, and it seems seems to be you know fifty five games in. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, people ask the question after 10 games and after 20 games and at the midway mark and the all-star break and now 55 games. Uh, this year, it seems to be sustainable. Is it uh, you know something you bank on at the start of the year? No. I will say in Rick Tockett's system, they don't waste a lot of shots. Like They're not out there trying to put up 40 shots. Uh, and they've got elite-level finishers. And so you put elite-level finishers in positions, pull the trigger – you know, I, I, look, the, the shooting percentage as a team is artificially inflated. Some of it is they beat Edmonton 8-1 to one on opening night. They didn't need eight goals. They would have been just fine with four or five that night, but they scored eight. Uh, they went to San Jose a month later, and they yeah. scored 10. And so, you know, those kind of nights have uh, disappeared. They, in the first half of the season, they were, uh, I think on some nights, uh, even accused of running the score up. Um, you know, since Christmas, you look at most of their wins – a lot of three goals and and sometimes four goals, but they're doing it with less flair, I would say. But in some ways, I think that's important as you roll into the stretch run. You're not going to score eight, nine, and ten in the playoffs. Like you've got to be able to grind out some 
wins here. So I think they're getting better at that. And some of the, like Brock Besser's had an incredible season, 30 goals for the first time in his NHL career, but he has only scored in one of the last 13 games. And that was a hat trick. So when he scored, he got three against Columbus. Otherwise he's gone a little bit quiet for the first time all season. But uh, yeah, I mean, it does stand out even for people here in Vancouver. I think that there is this, uh, uh, sometimes you wake up and you look at the individual statistics and you just think, my goodness, like how, how do they have, uh, the shooting percentages that you reference, and yet, you know, like since the All-Star break, it's all been at five-on-five. Five. Uh, there have been some stretches where the power play has been lights out, and they've got the component parts to have a, a dominant power play. But it's gone kind of quiet to the point the last five games, the power play is 0 for 15. But beyond that, it's given up a couple of shorthanded goals. So it's actually a minus net two in the last five games. And that hasn't hurt the Canucks at all because uh, they just find other ways to win. Most nights, they get some production from their top end. And then the supporting cast, whether it's a Garland, whether it's a a Lafferty, whether it's Ilya Mikheyev, uh, you know, get some goals from the back end. Last night, it was the door off. But we talked about Quinn Hughes with his dozen. And then the common denominator throughout, much like the Jets, is just, you know, goaltending. And most nights out, it's Thatcher Demko. But Casey DeSmith is another uh, addition who's come in and provided them just really solid backup goaltending uh, on those nights when he gets the nod. But uh, boy, I think for hockey fans everywhere, uh, kind of wild the way the schedules work that it's taken until the middle of February to see the Jets for the first time. Uh, you know, the Canucks haven't seen the Los Angeles Kings, like geographically one of their closest rivals. They don't see the Kings until February 29th, and then they play them four times over the final, I think, 17 games. So there's a chance that, you know, if the playoff dice roll that like they could see the Kings a ton. <laughs> over a relatively short period of time if they were to match up with them in uh, in the first round of the playoffs. But, you know, they, they haven't seen the Jets. They haven't seen the Kings. They've only played Colorado once. They've only played Vegas once. So they've got a ton of meat on the bone in terms of quality of competition remaining. Uh, but what works for this Canuck team is that they've played more road games than any team in the National Hockey League. So starting last night against Detroit, 17 of their final 28 are at Rogers Arena. So a ton of home cooking, including a nine-game homestand. They are at home for the entire month of March. Longest homestand in the National Hockey League this year, and it's still to come for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, nine straight through the month of March. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me. I can't wait to see this game. First place in the league, Vancouver Canucks against the Jets, currently sitting uh, fourth in the West. Should be a great one. Thanks again. And because you can let everyone know who's watching uh, where they can find your work at uh, Sakaris and Price and uh, Rinkwide. Yeah, we do a post-game podcast after every game. That's Rinkwide Vancouver. And then I'm a regular contributor to the Sakaris and Price show Monday to Friday. And find me on social at Patterson Jeff as well. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing the Jets. Uh, kind of a clash of styles with the way the Canucks score and the way that the Jets uh, prevent and, and don't score a lot but obviously don't give up much so uh kind of feel like this one might happen you know, on saturday night two canadian teams hope it lives up to the hype should have that sort of playoff feel that we have uh started to sense around rogers arena for the first time in a long time there hasn't been a playoff game in vancouver since the spring of 2015 of course they played in the bubble in edmonton but in terms of fans here in vancouver having a chance to actually go to a playoff game in nine long years, but uh, that drought is about to come to an end. So everybody here is looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to the next one, which is the Jets on Saturday night. There he is, Jeff Patterson, Sakaris and Price, Rinkwide, Vancouver. Some great insight there on the Vancouver Canucks, the Jets' next opponent. We're going to talk Jets next with Ken Wee with the Winnipeg Free Press. But uh, before, let me just... 
Give everyone a heads up. The Manitoba Moose, they're in action for a couple games this weekend at Canada Life Center. But we have tickets to give away, or we're giving away, on our website for next Friday. WinnipegSportsTalk.com slash contest. Uh, go there to enter, and we'll hand them out uh, next week. We did give away some tickets to this weekend's games previously on our website. And uh, shout out to our winners there. I don't have them in, in front of me. But here's us. We're going to get to Ken with some more Jets talk. Here we go. We are looking forward to next season. And, of course, all of our Winnipeg Blue Bomber reports here on Winnipeg Sports Talk are brought to you by Princess Auto. Proud sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And now welcoming Bomber fans to Princess Auto Stadium for next season's Winnipeg Blue Bomber year. Of course, a new 10-year deal announced earlier this year. Uh, a great local success story of a Winnipeg company getting behind the local team in, a, in the way that they uh, are. Of course, Princess Auto, in addition to being great sponsors of all of our sports teams here in the Peg, and of course, Winnipeg Sports Talk, Princess Auto is also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and visit them in-store on either Panet Road or Portage Avenue West at their two Winnipeg locations, or you can shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, I have to give a shout-out to the gang at Wallace & Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist since 1946. As the snow melts and we get into spring, you'll see their fences and trucks all over the city. Um, but you might not know, they're also the Clopay dealer in Manitoba and have the largest selection of overhead garage doors for your home in town. But right now, as it is cold in the middle of the winter, this is the time that stresses your overhead garage door the most. And the right time to prevent downtime this winter is now. Give Wallace & Wallace a call to book your inspection and maintenance service call today for residential and commercial overhead door sales and service, there's only one name or two you need to know, and that is Wallace and Wallace. And uh, hey, fellas, if you're looking into your closet and realize that it might be time to step up your menswear game, might I suggest a quick trip to take care of that down to see the gang at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street, Winnipeg and Manitoba's number one spot for menswear at great prices. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. Great deals for 2024 high school grads. And if you're in a wedding party or getting married this year, make sure you talk to the gang down at F Apparel about a 15% discount when the entire wedding party gets their suits at F Apparel. They're again down at 190 Smith Street downtown. Check them out online and find out more or make an appointment at F, that's EPHapparel.com. Hey, there's has to be back next week and yeah program reminder no show on monday it is louis real day but the jets will be on monday afternoon in calgary and pumped to bring on right now ken weeb for weeb's world the winnipeg free press ken what's going on how's your week been Remo, fantastic week, and uh, with you not being on on Monday, if folks are looking for something to do, we've got our latest edition of the live show, Kenny and Rennie live viewing party and taping at TCB, Monday, 3 p.m., so there we go. Oh, I should nice. send you the event link to throw her in the old commentary. 
Very, for very folks nice. who are interested. We know we do have a crossover audience, Remo. It's, hey, YouTube tells me a lot of people who watch our channel also watch yours. I get that. Indeed. In, in the analytics, it gives me that information. But uh, coming off the Jets, Jets win over San Jose. You know, how are you feeling about the win? And, and are you feeling a bit better about it after uh, San Jose goes and beats Calgary on the second game of the back-to-back? Well, Remo, as you know, my life is not impacted by wins and losses, but uh, sorry, as how are you feeling the about Jets, the, the Jets? Not you, but how are you feeling, how am I feeling the Jets, about the Jets the, play? I, the I'm Jets just teasing, buddy. I'm just teasing. Yeah, I'm just I know teasing. You're, you're a big J, Ken. You don't want to let the personal feelings get in. I, I get it, but sure. How are you feeling about the Jets play? All good, Remo. All good. Just trying to keep you sharp uh, on you the go. old chair there. I would say that uh, you know, very one-sided play uh, the other day. Anytime you out attempt your opponent. Uh, 85 to 34 or whatever the uh, final tally was uh, there was lots to like about the Jets effort was it their best effort you know uh, there wasn't as much finish as we would expect or we've come to expect from them but uh, right now we know the Jets are going through a, a rough patch when it comes to the offensive production there's plenty of uh, chances generated and great looks and all of those things but right now they've got a bunch of players that are uh, in a bit of a funk when it comes to putting the puck in the back of the net. In terms of their structure, there were a couple breakdowns. Obviously, Mark Scheifele had to make a uh, you know ridiculous uh, pad save and scoop the puck into the corner without covering his hand on it in order for the Jets to avoid going to overtime potentially. But you know, structurally, they were pretty sound. Anytime a team gives up only you know 17 shots in a game, uh, you have to be pretty happy. Uh, obviously, we know the Sharks are struggling, but. You know, as you mentioned, I mean, Calgary, a team that had been playing mostly better of late, they gave up a six pack to those same Sharks who were playing on a back to back. Uh, you know, again, that's just a reminder of what the NHL is like. It's not a, you know, to take the Jets off the hook or whatever. But I mean, Remo, if the Jets played that game 100 times, they probably win it 100 times. And the score is only one nothing in, you know, one or two of those games, uh, you know, mostly because of Capo Kakinen. But you know, overall, I think there were strides taken forward. I thought the Jets were getting back to their identity in terms of their third line kind of driving play with that offensive churn and playing the cycle game. You saw some high-end opportunities for, um, you know, the top two lines, I would say. The fourth line buzzing mostly. You know, obviously we saw a line change, and we'll get into that in a second. But uh, in terms of what the Jets are generating, Remo, I think, honestly, it's easy to say that, but you know, when a team scores 13 times in 11 games, obviously that's, you know, that's going to be something that is on the radar of the coaching staff and the players. But I would say that uh, they looked a lot more like themselves in the last two games than they did in the, you know, the games going out of the coming out of the break in both Pittsburgh and Philly. So I would say that's another important step forward. But what we know in the last 31 games is the Jets are going to have to elevate their style of play and that will start this weekend with a great showdown with you know the team that's leading the west right now your uh, level of concern here you know seven you mentioned what is it 13 in the last 11 or something i know it's yeah. seven in the yeah, last 13 and 11 seven in the last seven i mean that's long term ken god that's not going to get it done here but this is a team as you said averaging 2.98 goals per game so uh I'm not sure what to make of this uh, goal scoring slump. Like we just, they just put up a you know 38 shots on San Jose. Dam's got to break at some point. 
I would imagine. I mean, it, again, we've talked about the Jets' depth. They have six players in double digits already. They have uh, several others who are on the verge of hitting double digits. Uh, you know, that's Morgan Barron, that's Mason Appleton, that's Vladislav Nemestikov, maybe even Alex Iafalo. Uh Once he gets out of this uh, little bit of a slump, I think he's – uh, the longest of the 12 forwards that are currently in the lineup. Uh, you know, obviously Rasmus Kapardi's slump goes back to last year with LA, but he's not in the lineup currently. But uh, the big thing, Ramon, and we talked about it, you know, almost every single week, including you and I last Friday. I mean, it, the bigger issue for the Jets is, you know, when you go through time, every team goes through kind of stretches like this uh, in the course of his 82 games season, but it's usually not accompanied by a season long drought on the power play. And, you know, if the jets had been getting anything going with the man advantage in terms of production, you know, if they weren't two for 37 or 38, then you wouldn't be thinking about, you know, 13 goals in 11 games or seven and seven, because special teams can sometimes pick a team up when you go through the, you know, expected five on five uh, issues. We, We know teams are playing, you know, the teams that are in the playoffs are playing extremely hard right now or teams that are trying to get over the line. And then you have the sort of anomaly teams like the Sharks where, you know, Dylan Sandberg described it, you know, those guys don't really have anything to play for. Uh, they're, they're playing a little bit more of a carefree style. And that sort of can lead to some confusion because they're not as structured as some of those higher end teams or the defensive teams that have been really sound uh, throughout the course of the year. So a little bit of a stylistic change. I, I don't think the Jets will have any issues with, uh, the stylistic form of play um, against the Vancouver Canucks. They're a team that is, yes, they're a little bit freewheeling, but I mean, they've got one of the best, you know, this is one of the best goalie matchups in the NHL happening this weekend, a Vesna battle between the front runner, Connor Hellebuck and, and Thatcher Demko, who was probably the front runner in the first two months of the year before Hellebuck kind of overtook him. Um, you know, again, uh, level of concern is not high personally, but I, I do think that obviously the Jets have it on their radar that they need to kind of get back to, being more of a, you know, three goal a game team than a one goal a game team. Because if you're only a one goal a game team, you're putting an inordinate amount of pressure on your goaltenders in both Connor Hellebuck and Lauren Brassois, who uh, is going to be a little busier in the second half, I would imagine, as the Jets work to to kind of keep Connor Hellebuck fresh, which is something they couldn't do last year, Remo. And I think ultimately it ended up uh, hurting them, uh, you know, in the playoffs against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, you mentioned trying to get uh, some offense going. They've been mixing up the lines here. They brought in Monaghan. We thought, oh, it's going to be Monaghan, Sandring, Perfetti, and Ehlers. Do a little switcheroo. Going with uh, Shifley, with Connor Ehlers, Monaghan, Velarde, and Perfetti. No, Monaghan hasn't scored with the Jets yet. Perfetti's in a slump. Uh, Velarde as well. Uh, what do you make of Sean Monaghan? How he's been fitting here since acquired by the Jets. Yeah, Remo, I thought that that second line actually had a really good first period for sure. Second period also solid. Uh, I thought that was their best game uh, since they've been put together. It's only been a couple of games. Uh, I thought we talked about this last week. Gabriel Velarde, you know, mentioning during the week that he was quite disappointed in, in his own effort on uh, Saturday night. Uh, hasn't really had his feet in in uh, you know in line with his brain and his hands. And I thought that he was really moving well in the game the other day. Uh, Monaghan's been fine. I mean, I understand that some people are, you know, surprised that he hasn't scored seven or eight points in his first four games and hey <laughs> it takes time to adapt uh, adapt to a new team if, if if you're curious about that why don't you ask Jonathan Huberto who went from a hundred point player who was in the you know in the Hart trophy race to 
uh, having less than half the amount of points in Calgary in his first season, never mind his first five or six games here, folks. It takes time, even when you're a high-end player. Uh, what I've liked about Monaghan is that he's come as advertised, Remo. Great in the circle, really smart and sound defensively, really good player when it comes to vision and passing ability. So I think you've seen looks for Cole Perfetti and Gabriel Velarde and Nikolai Ehlers when he was up on that line. Uh, now, you know, things have shifted a little bit. I, I Again, Perfetti's gone a long time. It's one one assist now in 11 games. I mean, that, that's I don't expect that to last. I mean, I understand people are down on him, but even during this rough patch, he's still... He's still, you know, near the team leaders in goals and, you know, I think sixth in points when you include Monaghan's totals with the Montreal Canadiens. So, uh, you know, there's going to be hiccups when you're, you know, essentially Cole Perfetti is in his first full season. I mean, he just equaled his career high for games played uh, on Wednesday, Remo, with 51. You know, he's only in the, you know, low hundreds uh, when it comes to that. So just because he's been around a long time, there are going to be hiccups for a young player like him. Uh, in terms of Monaghan, I think he's been fine. I think he's been trending upward, and I do think that it's just a matter of time, whether it's getting a point on the power play to get him going or or chipping in something at 5-on-5. Five five. I know we know there were you know, a couple opportunities at the empty net for a, a number of players the other day. Uh, I, again, Monaghan is a great pickup. I mean, I understand folks are looking over at Vancouver and saying, oh, look at Elias Lindo- Elias Lindholm uh, immediately scoring two in his first game. I think he had two the other day, so... You know, what's wrong with Monaghan? I mean, there's nothing wrong with Monaghan. It's just a matter of uh, getting settled in and, you know, starting to pop a little bit more offensively. And I would expect that, you know, if he's not the guy that gets the Jets uh, sparked offensively, he'll be getting it going uh, and contributing in that complimentary scoring that we expect him to bring. And there's complimentary scoring and primary scoring in that top line, Shifley now with Ehlers and Connor. I mean, what did you make of Nikolai Ehlers getting bumped down for Alex Iafalo last game, as we've been uh, touching on here now for, well, since the game, since the game ended? Sure, Remo, and I, this is another great reminder. I mean, we know when there's only one game a week, there or there's going to be lots of dissection that's happening. Uh, you know, do I think that that's, that's the way that the Jets are going to go moving forward, the, having Nikolai Ehlers on the fourth line? No, of course not. But uh, do I also think that that line was at its absolute peak and, were those three completely in sync the other day? No, they weren't. So I understand that the fans are unhappy that it's almost always Nikolai Ehlers who is the one removed from that line, even when it's not really maybe rolling at its peak levels. Uh, I think Nikolai would be the first to admit it wasn't his best game on Wednesday night. I mean, you can look, you talked about analytics earlier, the metrics weren't in his favor. Uh, Having said that, I don't think that he needs to be removed every single time that it's not going perfectly. I mean, do I understand why a coach would want to put a, you know, a, a responsible two-way player uh, on the ice in the last 14 minutes of a one-goal game? Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, the Jets are going to need Nikolai Ehlers going um, when, in order for them to go on a long run. And if they want to have Ehlers as part of that top line, they need to kind of push through some of the times where maybe it's not going as well, um, you know. There, there are certain things we, what we know, uh, we know Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor are more straight line players with great speed. Um, you know, they like a level of predictability. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers plays a little bit more of an East West game. And part of the reason that he can make a big impact is that chaotic element where he kind of keeps the opposition guessing, but at the same time, there's sometimes when he keeps his own line mates guessing 
uh, as well. Having said that, I thought that those guys were excellent in the game against Pittsburgh. They were, you know, they were probably the Jets' best line. So uh, I'd like to see them have a little bit more runway for that unit. And I expect they'll be right back together against Vancouver on Saturday night and, you know, on Monday as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, what do I think of it? I mean, I think that a coach was, you know, coaching and sometimes coaches do a little bit of over coaching, but at the same time, I mean, all those guys have another level to reach. Uh, they weren't, you know, they weren't getting as much offense created and certainly not finish happening for the three of them. And, um, you know, there aren't any Selkie candidates on that line, Remo. So the fact that you put a guy like Alex Iafalo, who's who's protected a lot of one-goal leads in his career, I can understand where the decision-making comes from. But at the same time, I think that that line needs more time to to give it a go. And also, too, I know you're not asking me, but I know that a lot of people are up in arms. You know, why not just put Velarde back with Ehlers and Shifley? Well, Gabriel Velarde, even though he had a better game on Wednesday is not playing at the same level Gabriel Velarde was playing in December when that line outshot or outscored its opponents 15 to 4 at even strength. So I understand the want to get back to that, and I you know I would endorse it at some point. Uh, but right now, Gabriel Velarde is also not playing at that same level in terms of his skating and, and, and all of the generation that he had during that wild stretch too. Um, and I would also say that that line didn't look nearly as good coming out of the Christmas break as it did beforehand. So... I mean, I understand it's chicken and egg, Remo, right? I mean, some people think, well, if you go back to it, then it'll happen. Well, it might, but it also might not. So I think there's a lot of players that can elevate their game. And, you know, the other night, Morgan Barron goes to the net and is rewarded for it. I mean, that's that's what teams need to do when they're having trouble scoring. Uh, go to the right places, and, you know, sometimes you get a reward. And as you mentioned earlier, I would imagine that the dam is going to break both for a lot of those top six players that are going through a little bit of a rough patch and also for, you know, the top bottom six players, some of whom have gone through a bit of a, a dry spell also. Yeah, moving uh, to the defense, Ken. Brendan Dillon getting back in the game Saturday after serving his three-game suspension. You think Logan Stanley made the case to get in a couple more? I mean, really, he hadn't been used much and uh, seemed to be finding his game as, you know, time went on, especially in the last in the win against San Jose. Yeah, I like. I mean, it was probably one of Logan's best games as a pro, quite frankly, Remo. I mean, he did all the things that the Jets would like to see him do on a regular basis. I mean, he uh, imposed his will physically, moved well on the back end. Yes, there was a bad turnover behind the net that led to a great scoring chance, but uh, turnovers are going to happen over the course of the game. Um, you know, is was he consistent enough in the three-game spell to bump Nate Schmidt out of the lineup? I don't think so. Um but at the same time, did Logan Stanley give the Jets coaching staff, you know, time for pause or maybe another team that maybe is considering a move for him? Sure. But again, we, we don't, not every game is a, you know, it's not always, <laughs> not every game is a one game, um, you know, every game is a one game tryout for Logan Stanley, but it's not a referendum over whether or not he's going to play in the NHL as a regular. I mean, I understand people are always up in arms and they want to know why it's, Logan Stanley, instead of Hanela, I mean, Rick Bonus made that abundantly clear earlier in the week that right now, Billy Hanela hasn't got his skating up to the level it was at in October. And it's impossible to do that over the course of a three-week period when you've missed five months. I mean, I for folks who haven't had an injury of that regard, I mean, it, that's just the facts. I mean, I watched Kevin Bieksa go through a high ankle sprain that he suffered at the NHL level, came to the Manitoba Moose. It took him some time to get up to speed. I mean, this is normal. Um, anyways, that was, uh, you know, neither here nor there in terms of Stanley, 
yes, solid game. Uh, but has, did he do enough to 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 push someone else out of the lineup? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, having said that, I think the Jets would feel more comfortable seeing a game like that if they had to go back to him. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Logan Stanley is soon going to have competition from Billy Hainala. Uh, when he gets a couple more weeks and games under his under his belt and and gets that skating ability back up to what we were seeing in training camp when when he had basically won a job on the Jets, uh, what I would also say, Remo, and that's something that uh, some folks seem to be forgetting, one of the reasons Vili Hanala benefited in training camp and had an opportunity to play a few more games is because Nate Schmidt got hurt in the first preseason game against the Edmonton Oilers when Evander Kane fell on his ankle. Um, so again, I understand that that that's just an element Remo. They think people have forgotten and that's, that's nothing to do with Hanala who is full value for what he did in those games before getting hurt against the Ottawa senators. But at the same time, Nate Schmidt had a great summer of training and was feeling really good about himself. And then he had a bit of a setback due to the injury. So, I mean, the jets are fortunate Remo, their defense core has played well. Uh, we've been talking about this log jam for two and a half years by now. But the biggest development for the Jets is that their defense is not hurting them. Their defense has been actually one of their strengths this year. Uh, you know, is that tough for Vili Hanala and Logan Stanley to a degree because it hasn't allowed them the opportunity that they had hoped for? Sure. But we're not talking about a team that's struggled. Like Jets are one of the best teams in terms of goals allowed, especially at five on five. And part of the reason is that this unheralded defense core has done a really good job. And yes, they're getting help from the forward group. That's true. But, you know, what was perceived as a potential weakness for the Jets has ended up being a strength for them. And it might even get stronger if Vili Hanala gets into some action, whether that's through, you know, injury or opportunity. Uh, we know that there is just under a month until the deadline. And we know that the Jets have been linked to some defensemen, but... You know, my former colleague, uh, Elliot Friedman, reported today that, you know, the Jets before deciding if they're going to add a, you know, whether it's a top four or a top six or a seven, eight guy uh, before the trade deadline would like to get handle some games. So, I mean, we know that the clock is ticking when it comes to that, but I would expect Hanela to get some games and, you know, who that's going to be for, uh, that will be determined by what happens in the coming weeks here. Yeah, we've talked about adding a depth defenseman for a while. I think with this lack of scoring, maybe a forward would be an option uh, down the road. I mean, Remo, who are you? Who are you, who are you moving? Who are you moving if you're if you're getting a top six forward? Who are you moving out of that spot? Are you putting Cole Perfetti on the fourth line? I mean, I, I, personally, I don't see that as as something the Jets are really entertaining. And you know, we've talked about Nino Niederreiter. If if the Jets want to put someone in the top six, they have someone available to them to do that, right? With Nino Niederreiter, a guy who's a perennial 20-goal scorer. So, um, And again, the other thing too, I mean, I know that uh, Cap Friendly has the Jets at, you know, five plus or just under six million of cap space available to them. But you also got to remember, Remo, there's almost a million dollars in in performance bonuses that are going to be paid out to Cole Perfetti. So that number is a little bit skewed on the high end. Um you know, and again, too, if the Jets want to, I don't think they're going to wait until the deadline passes before they get Hanley in the lineup. But, you know, if the Jets want to carry more than 23 men on the roster after the deadline, they have to have room for those players. They, they don't just get to add players as many as they want after the deadline and not be worried about the salary cap ramifications. Now, am I dismissing it outright? No, of course not. Um, you know, it's certainly possible that the Jets would look at a middle six, let's call it a middle six forward. 
but at the same time, I mean, Remo, we've talked about the depth up front all year. I mean, you have to also give up something to get something. And I would say that uh, just right now, I would say it's more likely the Jets would maybe enter the defense market than up front. But having said that, I mean, it depends how the next three weeks goes. I mean, if this if this scoring concern lingers on for another three weeks, um, then for sure the Jets might have to look at maybe a higher-end um, offensive player rather and then sort of keep going with the defense that they have and then lean on guys like Hanela, Stanley, and let's not forget Kyle Capabianco uh, is having a great year at the American League level, and he, he would be one of the depth considerations for the Jets uh, come playoff time. But... Um, I don't know. I, I totally understand what the Kevin Sheveldayoff, he needs to continue to look, but it's got to be the right fit. I mean, David Savard is another name that's come up in the last little while here, uh, plays a bit of a stiff game. Remo, we, you know, he's a guy the Jets had had on their radar before. Right shot guy, kills penalties, blocks shots. Um, but at the same time, I mean, maybe they're looking for someone a little bit lower on the depth chart. I mean, uh, in terms of forwards, you have to be careful on the chemistry side, but again, I wouldn't rule anything out at this this point. But uh, I would just say this, and I and I think I, it feels like I've been saying this for the last month, Remo. Uh, the Jets are still in a very good spot. They're in a very difficult battle in the Central Division. But what I feel like, and it's just I'm constantly reminded every time I talk to you, every time I talk to Sean on our <laughs> show, when the Jets went ten one and three in the month of December, basically it feels like Jets fans think that they are obligated to win every single game and that they should just automatically show up, throw their sticks in the middle and wax the opponent five, nothing. And it just, that's just not the way the NHL works. Um, They definitely have a a new level that they need to get back to. They're not playing at the same level they were in December, but it's kind of natural. I mean, the, the, the games get harder. It gets harder to score. Um, and again, now, what are we talking about, Remo? Last year, everyone was, you know, even during the slump, even during the losing streak, oh, it's just like last year. Now, it's a month later than last year, and it's nothing at all like it. The Jets have not abandoned their structure. They're still, their foundation is their defensive zone play. They're not going with the snake charmer offense and and cheating the game and, you know, leaving their defense core and goalies to to deal with a ton of three-on-twos and two-on-ones they're just going through a rough patch when it comes to offense. So I expect they'll continue to play better. They'll need to, if they want to get to where they, the, where they plan on going or what their goals are, but they're in for a great test here. Remo the, the, the jets will play the Vancouver Canucks three times in the last 31 games. Neither team has seen one another yet this year. They play a bit of a contrast in terms of style, but they both are, you know, viewed as two of the top teams in the West. So Who's going to impose their will? Who's going to do win the special teams battle? Which goalie is going to be better? Uh, all of the great things. Who's who's going to you know who's going to be healthier come uh, April, May, and June? I mean, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the matchup evolves. We know the fact that the Jets had some interest in Elias Lindholm will make the matchup even juicier. Uh, you've got, as I mentioned earlier, you got two Vesna candidates. You've got two Norris candidates in Josh Nor- uh, Morrissey and Quinn Hughes. Uh, you got Elias Pettersson who needs a new contract as an RFA. You know, there's all kinds of fun things. And the thing that the Canucks hate more than anything is that during a past regime, a lot of people thought they should have drafted Nikolai Ehlers. So that's only going to sort of, you know, put a little more spice into the uh, into the chili here uh, when it comes to this weekend here, especially given what happened with Ehlers the other night. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, last game. I thought it was supposed to be cookie night for the Jets. Can uh, everyone? <laughs> that's what it said on TSN.ca. And the, I mean, the implied team total was three point eight. They only scored one. Now the expected goals were were would have beat that. That was fours, but you know maybe the dam will break. And you're playing Vancouver. I mean, how how surprised are you by Vancouver this year? It has to be one of the top stories in the NHL. They've almost equaled their point total from all of last season. Yeah, Remo, I mean, obviously, uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine doing a great job there. Rick Tockett, I mean, is has done an exceptional job. I mean, I was one of the people who was very, you know, I wasn't confused that they hired Rick Tockett, but the fact that they were having such a bad year, it sort of seemed like one of those scenarios where you almost want to wait for Rick Tockett to start and get things going when training camp started. In fact, it's been the opposite. He was able to start to you know, instill some of that culture during the stretch run last year. He didn't see the results from it, but you know, sort of laying out his plan. I mean, obviously they they made some personnel changes. They've overhauled their defense core, uh, brought in you know some some kind of unheralded players, whether it's a Sam Lafferty or a Teddy Bluger, uh, you know, who won a champ, you know, who won a Stanley Cup with Vegas, but didn't get into a lot of action. Uh, you know, they're. Connor Garland is sort of renewed and, you know, we've been talking all year about how the Jets have the best third line in hockey. I mean, well, the Canucks third line uh, is standing there with their hands raised and saying, Hey, Hey, what about us? And, you know, that's, that's another great element and layer to the, to the discussion here. Right. So I think Dakota Joshua missed the game the other night. I don't know if he'll be back or not with that hand injury, but that Bluger Garland Joshua line. And now it looks like Ilya Mikheyev is filled in for him. I mean, I'd love to see those guys go head to head a little bit on, on Saturday night. And, you know, they have three meetings head to head to show, you know, who has the leg up or who, who has the, the better line or the deeper line or however way you want to describe it. But, um, you know, they added a little bit of experience, championship experience and Ian Cole. Uh, we know Tyler Myers has kind of had a bit of a renewal kind of season there. Uh, Philip Ronick has been a, a great addition. And, you know, we talk about all the strides the, the Red Wings have made. And, like, it, it's absolutely beyond uh, comprehension, you know, even, you know, more at cider aside. How does a team like Detroit, who still needs defense help, you know, not have room for a Philip Ronick? I mean, yes, they got a first-round draft pick out of the deal. But, I mean, this is a guy who's playing on the top pairing with one of the best defensemen in the NHL and Quinn Hughes. So, I mean, there, that's just a shrewd move by Jim Benning. Oh, sorry, Jim Benning, by Patrick Alvin. A uh, bit of a brain cramp there, Remo. Sorry about that, pal. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they have been one of the best stories. But I would say the, the biggest thing for the Canucks here, they have a healthy Thatcher Demko. Like, he's back to bubble Demko territory. I mean, I was in Edmonton in those bubble playoffs, and and Demko was fantastic. And that, that that's when we thought that the Canucks were on the rise. Uh, you know, and a lot of it had to do with Demko. Obviously, Pedersen, you know, Brock Besser's had a great resurgence season. Uh, you know, again, and I, I would go back to your summer shows, Remo. How many people wanted JT Miller? They wanted to give JT Miller away at the deadline last year. Now he's been one of their best players. So it just sort of is a, <clears throat> a little reminiscent to me about how, you know, a little bit similar in in the market where we work. I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, time to turn the page on Mark Shifley. What about, you know, what if Hellebuck's gone? Well, no. I mean, sometimes uh, those core players, you know, get reinvigorated. And in this case, the Jets core got reinvigorated by the signings of two core players. In terms of Vancouver, they had a new message. They got a new coach. They made a couple of tweaks. They've got a healthy goalie. and, And all of a sudden, 
Um, they're not only, you know, a, a playoff team, but they're one of the best teams in the NHL right now. So now they're going to have to do it over, you know, over a long run in the playoffs. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Vegas is still the team to beat uh, until they get their title taken away from them. And Edmonton has played great, right? So th- it's still tough to get out of the Pacific and the same way it's going to be tough to get out of the Central. So that sort of reinforces for both the Jets and the Canucks, Remo, that you want to finish first in your division. It's not to say it's an easy path, but it's a lot easier path if you have to only face, you know, for a Canucks, that would be Edmonton or Vegas in the in the third round or in the second round. And if you're the Jets, if you can avoid the Stars and Avalanche in the first round, obviously that probably helps your uh, helps your situation. And uh, breaking news here, Remo, that we should share. I mean, tough news for uh, former uh, yeah, Jets captain Blake Wheeler. I was just going to uh, ask confirm you that. that the uh, knee injury will knock him out of the season. And just absolutely devastating blow for Blake. Uh, Got tied up with Jaden Struble yesterday in that game, Remo, and uh, it looked absolutely horrible. We know that Blake has such an incredibly high pain pain threshold and tolerance. And um, when he tried to get up and fell back down after his leg had crumpled underneath him, that right leg, it it just... uh, that's tough to see. And, you know, I watched the Ranger game earlier this week and it looked like Blake had his skating legs back. He had, you know, got a little bit more offensive production going. We know it was a bit of a slower start from him after moving to the East and uh, obviously just wishing him uh, all the best in his recovery. Uh, you know, he signed with the Rangers to try to take a run of the cup. He's, he's playing on a team that's, you know, leading the Met, you know, leading the division, uh, one of the best teams in hockey. And, you know, he's had that taken away from him. That's that's a devastating blow for uh, for the 37-year-old former uh, Jets captain there. Yeah, signed an eight, one-year, $800,000 contract with the Rangers. He's been playing on the top line with uh, Kreider and Zabinijek. Kreider with the hat trick yesterday. And you mentioned off to the slow start, zero points in nine games in October, but kind of found his footing there, six and 12 in November, nine and 14 December, uh, at five and 14. and in January and in one point in five games here in February total what 21 in uh, in 54 and I don't know I don't know what's going to be next for Blake Wheeler but you mentioned incredible uh, pain tolerance he's played through like never missed a game here in Winnipeg until you know maybe the last season but he had played 81 82 every season you know he got hit in the throat got ran into the post or ran into the door uh, never missed a game until you know he did have some injuries the last couple of years, the knee in Vancouver, which he you know looked right. really bad at the time, but he came back later that year and then came back, uh, you know, from taking the puck in the, in the midsection uh, last year or a couple of years ago, which I think, and he finished that game too, which was even more my mind boggling. So I don't know. I don't know what's next for him, but uh, that's, that's a tough one. Ken. Yeah, no doubt. That is, uh, yeah, just devastating blow, as I said. I mean, this is a guy who has uh, given a lot to the game. And, um, yeah, if if that's it for Blake, uh, be a tough way to go out. Uh, obviously, he's a guy who's incredibly motivated. Maybe, you know, could have another year in him, I guess. But that's, again, that's a, it's a tough rehab ahead of him. But uh, wishing him nothing but the best in, in whatever he decides. And it uh, wouldn't surprise me uh, if he tried to give it another go, just based on how he got himself going um after after that slow start that you mentioned up one more ken how about uh the gm firing this week uh, yarmo kekalainen and out in columbus uh, what was your reaction to that news yeah i mean uh, we know that yarmo was uh, you know 
a bit of a polarizing figure in terms of, you know, some people who cover the league, uh, you know, guys very well liked for scouting ability. He took a lot of big swings uh, over his tenure uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets, um, you know, was also the guy that hired Mike Babcock and it didn't work out. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of free agent departures from Columbus, but a uh, very well respected individual, hard worker. But uh, I would say that it was probably uh, time for a new voice and a new direction. And, you know, I would say that there's going to be a lot of people interested in the job. I mean, uh, some of them could have local connections. I mean, Jason Botterill is a guy who's already being talked about uh, as a potential candidate, to, you know, guy who's probably ready for another GM job at some point. We'll see if that's something that appeals to him. Mark Hunter is another name that's been uh, thrown around. I would imagine John Ferguson uh, Jr. would be a guy who's under consideration. And uh, it's a big test ahead uh, in terms of, of where the Blue Jackets are going. Uh, we know the, uh, you know, a lot of news for the Blue Jackets this week, uh, you know, exciting news for them with an outdoor game, but also had the, just the ridiculousness uh, from the podcast and sorry that Patrick Lina had to deal with uh, any of that, all of that junk that was coming out of there. I love what, I love the response by Johnny Gaudreau uh, stepping up uh, in terms of the mental health foundation and, and the donations that he's going to provide. But uh yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff happening uh, around the Blue Jackets. And, you know, it's a great hockey market. And some folks, uh, you know, like to throw a lot of stones at them. But, you know, if you've been to a game around there, it's a fun town, great hockey town. And, um, you know, they got to get things going. I think they're in, they're in a good place with Adam Fantilli there. They're going to have another top, you know, top five pick conceivably this year. But, uh, you know, there's some work ahead. But uh, first and foremost, just uh, wishing Patrick Liney all the best as he continues to, to work his way through the Players Assistance Program there. For sure. Well, Ken, thanks so much for your time. Looking forward to catching up next week. We'll have a couple of Jets games to touch on, including the big Feb 20 game at home, Jets Wild. So can't wait to catch up again next week. Well, it'll be Hustler. No, not me, but it'll be him and the host here. But thanks again, Ken. My pleasure, Remo. Have a great weekend. Uh, great job in the chair. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Hacksaw's ready for your offseason action. Uh, otherwise, a great job by him all year long as well. Have a great weekend, everyone. All right. All right. Thanks, Ken. There he is. Ken Weeb. Check him out. Uh, Weeb's World on X, formerly known as Twitter, in the Winnipeg Free Press. And Kenny and Rennie here on YouTube and on podcast. Link to Kenny and Rennie's, their channel, in the description. We're going to put a bow on the NFL season uh, up next with Hacksaw. But first, here's us. We have to give a big cheers from Winnipeg Sports Talk to our friends at Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite local beer company featuring their flagship 1919 and their newest generic lager. My personal favorite, a 4-5 domestic style beer brewed locally, fresh and crisp to the taste. And listen, generic right now, not only can you find it along with 1919 on your next trip to Canada Life Center, up in Craft Beer Corner in Section 310 in the Upper Bowl or 126 in the Lower Bowl. You'll also find it at your local beer store in Manitoba Liquor Marts at a great low price of $19.99 for an eight-pack of Tall Boys. If you haven't tried generic lager yet, try local. I'm sure you will enjoy it. And uh, maybe the best place to check it out, along with all of the Little Brown Jug offerings, is down at their brewery and tap room on William Avenue. You can also find out more on Little Brown Jug ordering and local delivery options, along with their great merchandise 
online at littlebrownjug.ca. Um, every sports fan in Winnipeg pretty much knows that if you're in the market for some new Jets merch or bomber gear or your favorite team from another league, there's only one place you need to go, and that, of course, is the Royal Sports Superstore at 750 Pemina Highway, 40,000 square feet of the biggest inventory you'll find anywhere featuring all the home teams and the top teams from all of your favorite leagues and whatnot around the world. But it's not just great fan merchandise at Royal Sports. Take advantage of winter or what's left of it with their incredible hockey section, skates both for high-end players as well as recreational skaters, not to mention snowboards, boots, bindings, and all the cool stuff on the King's Skate Snow and Surf side. You've got to see it to believe it for yourself. Head on down to Royal Sports at 750 Pembina Highway and make sure to follow them on Instagram for the latest merchandise drops and sale information at Royal Sports Pembina. And uh, hey, big shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza. If you're thinking about gathering with your friends for the big game, uh, there's nowhere better to do it than your local BP. You know you'll have the game on the massive screens in Boston Pizza. Uh, the sound from the commentators up on the uh, on the sound system. And most importantly, and most popular, win or lose, you'll be enjoying ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and great Boston pizza hospitality. And heck, seven days a week, if you can't make it out to your local BP, you can always order online and get it hot and fast to your door by ordering at bostonpizza.com. All right, there's Hassler. He'll be back, well, Tuesday. We're not programming out, no show on Monday, but time to put a bow on the NFL season with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Lee, thanks for coming on. How's it going over there in uh, Southern California? Mike, we don't never put a bow on NFL. We just hit the reset <laughs> button because we're going to go from this week into next week, and then they open into free agency and then the draft. This thing goes on forever and ever year-round. It's kind of like the NHL north of the border. Uh, I hear. Well, we can. Uh, we'll touch on the Super Bowl first. I mean, how about Patrick Mahomes? I mean, where is he ranking for you as far as all-time great quarterbacks after that performance in the Chiefs uh, Super Bowl win? Memo to Tom Brady: Patrick Mahomes is chasing you down. Hey, what he's accomplished has been phenomenal. You know, right quarterback, right system, right head coach. Andy Reid is one of the creative geniuses in the NFL. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not one of the guys that gets into this comparing this quarterback this era to that quarterback past era to old quarterbacks back era. Uh, Mahomes right now is is at the head of this year's class, this this era's class. Tom Brady was at the head of his class, and prior to that, it was Peyton Manning, and prior to that, it was it was John Elway. So, uh, what he's accomplished is amazing. He is just a unique combination of football intellect, unbelievable athleticism. And just the ability to make things happen when things fall apart around him. And he's linked with a coach that just creatively designed some things in the second half of that game that ambushed the 49ers in San Francisco, just never, ever recovered. So, you know, the chief win in the Super Bowl is a byproduct of the brilliance of Andy Reid. But it's also, I think, a, a bit of a byproduct of Mike Shanahan's inability or inflexibility to change things when things don't work correctly. So... Uh, I, I give a lot of credit to the people in Kansas City and a little bit of critique headed towards San Francisco. And 
I'm not the only one on the West Coast that's questioning Shanahan and Kyle's inability to do things right when he has a lead. Yeah, you know, Mahomes with the elite defense, tough to, uh, you know, tough to beat. I mean, they put us, held him to 19 points. You don't win the game. And now the Chiefs uh, D coordinator without a job. What do you, what do you make of that uh, change there with the 49ers? Well, do you want to use the word scapegoat in this conversation? Or, or just use the words blame game? This is on Shanahan. And if Shanahan admits now he shouldn't have never hired Steve Wilkes, then why did you hire him? Uh, it's evident that it became square peg round hole, that what Wilkes ran did not fit what the 49ers roster was built to execute. That's on Shanahan. He's the one that hired the guy. Um, I will say this, the last three games of the season and the most important part of the season, Mikey, uh, Green Bay, Detroit, Kansas City, they went up and down the field on Steve Wilkes' defense. Part of it had to do with Wilkes' marriage to the zone defense. Part of it had to do, obviously, with injuries. I mean, losing Dre Greenlaw was a real blow to them defensively. But the equation was Wilkes was inflexible. He tried to get out of the zone. He tried to play man. And then Andy Reid, playing the game of chess with X's and O's, came up with different blocking schemes, and Wilkes' players just never were able to get adjusted. That's why that whole second half evolved the way it did and why Mahomes was hitting passes and why Mahomes broke off four big runs. Wilkes couldn't make the defense work, and then Wilkes went back to what he knew, the zone, and what happened? Travis Kelsey caught seven passes in the second half of that game. So, you know, I, I put a chunk of this on Shanahan. If he wasn't the right guy. Why was he the guy that was hired? And, you know, they had they had a coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, who ran a great system for the players on the roster. And prior to that, that coordinator is Robert Soleil. And he ran the exact same thing. And it worked. And then Shanahan allowed Wilkes to come in and try to devise something different. Like I said, square peg, round hole. So it's too bad for Wilkes because all the coaching hires have been made. He does I, he does get a buyout on his contract, but you know maybe he has to sit a year. That's kind of a bitter pill to swallow to go from being in the Super Bowl to being in the unemployment line a week after the Super Bowl. So Danny has got a lot of I think's got a lot of questions he has to answer because you know you look back, he has now been in four postseason playoff games in which he's had big leads and he's lost them all. So he can't close the deal. Somebody's got to hold him accountable to a degree also. Yeah, it looked like it was theirs. It was theirs for the taking. You know, a couple plays like, uh, I don't know, the punt bouncing off uh, the guy's leg. And, you know, you can't convert at the end. It was certainly there. And, you again, hold Patrick Mahomes to 19 points in regulation. I think you, you should win, but they, they couldn't get it done. Credit to Casey's, great uh, Casey's defense. Uh, moving on from the Super Bowl. Lee, we did have some NFL news today. Jimmy Garoppolo suspended for two games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substances policy. What does this mean for the Raiders? Well, if you have a condition, some type of medical condition, and you need special medication, you have to get an exemption from the NFL doctors. And most players do, you know, whether that's attention deficit disorder whether that's some type of medication for heart arrhythmia, you walk through the process, and every player knows this because the union gives them the information, Mike, that you walk through the process to get the exemption. I don't know specifically what type of medication he took. It might, might have had something to do with an asthmatic situation, but he never got the exemption. So he takes this med, 
and there's something in that med that shows up on a positive on his off-season drug test, on his exit drug test, and he gets tagged. Now, now, he's not taking steroids. He's not doing cocaine or anything like that. But at the end of the day, there is a procedure, and he'd fail to follow the procedure. He's not the only one. There have been players who uh, have to have special medications for things like attention deficit disorder. Uh, but you have to go through the process, and Garoppolo did not. So he's got he's got this now tagged to his resume, although I don't think it's a big negative. He's, he's going to be released from his contract. I think the intangible thing, Michael, nobody's paying any attention to is that Garoppolo has now violated his contract, which means the $11.2 million guarantee that he would have had for next year, gone. Uh, he can be released immediately by the Raiders. He probably will be released immediately by the Raiders. There's no cap hit for the Raiders. And he's back out on the street now, and he's going to have to find a job. And, you know, he'll be on his third different club in a three-year window. And, uh, you know, his inefficiency at quarterback has kind of caught up to him. And the fact that he's constantly hurt, he's had every type of injury possible, He's got some negatives working against him as he tries to sell himself and his talents to some other team. Uh, Garoppolo in San Francisco early years, Garoppolo at the tail end of New England, not the same quarterback right now. And the suspension just kind of stapled to his resume, too. Yeah, that's an expensive uh, pill to swallow for Jimmy G, uh, literally. Uh, Looking ahead towards the NFL draft, all eyes of the Chicago Bears. They have the first pick overall from the Carolina trade last year, which has worked out pretty well for Chicago. They also have their own pick at number nine. Are they going to stick with Justin Fields going forward? Are they going to look to draft a QB at number one? Tell you what, the story changes daily. Today is Friday. Yesterday was Thursday. It was a different story. Tomorrow, Saturday, might have another spin onto it. Uh, It's very confusing. And, you know, they're holding their cards close to their vest. They're not going to make any announcement right now in February. Uh, if they trade Justin Fields, that that is a bonus for somebody that makes the acquisition because he's on a fairly cap-friendly contract for another year. And the guy made a big jump in his productivity. You could keep the pick and draft Caleb Williams and bring him along slowly. Some NFL clubs have done that. Or you can keep the number one pick, trade Justin Fields, and see if you can get a second-round pick or maybe somebody's late first-round pick, et cetera, He'd have to go to a special offense because he's running a special offense in Chicago. So this this story keeps changing almost daily is what they might do, what they should do, what's being discussed that they could do. Um, it's interesting, though, Michael, because if you look at the draft board, you got Chicago that's got access to a quarterback. Washington at number two needs a quarterback. New England at number three needs a quarterback. Atlanta at eight. Minnesota at 11. Denver 12 and the Raiders at 13 all need QBs. Somebody in that collective group is going to try to trade up and get access to one of these quarterbacks. If not Caleb Williams, the big kid from North Carolina, Drake May, the kid from LSU, Jaden Daniels has made a huge jump uh, in offseason workouts and suddenly he's positioned himself in the upper echelon of of the first round. You've still got the Pac-12 kids out here. Michael Penix from Washington State or from Washington Phoenix from Oregon, J.J. McCarthy, maybe a late first-round pick, and Sam Hartman from Notre Dame v. Wake Forest, who's <coughs> maybe pushed himself into the back of the first round of the draft. So, I mean, we got a, a lot of teams with quarterback needs inside the top 13 picks. There's going to be a lot of movement. Some up, maybe Chicago trades down, stockpiles multiple picks. It's going to be fascinating to see. 
Certainly, and we'll just uh, wine. You know, we'll wrap this up. Going back to the Super Bowl, anything you know? The lasting image from the game was actually Travis Kelsey yelling at Andy Reid. Uh, I mean, anything to make this? They weren't giving him the ball, and they were losing. And then I don't know. He got the ball in the second half, and they ended up winning the game. And he had a huge play there in in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know. What I was, thought what Kelsey yeah. did was over the top, and he has he has apologized to Reid. And he's gone public and said that was unacceptable. He said, if, if I were a coach and somebody did that, I might have popped him in the mouth. Um, and his brother criticized him on his own podcast. Uh, that being done, I mean, Kelsey said, I, I should have never done it. It was unacceptable. I wish I could bring it back. Andy Reid said, no big deal. It was in the, a flashpoint of anger in the, in the moment and everything will be fine going forward. And he was frustrated. But that's, that's because they did some different things defensively in the first half. And, you know, they doubled him a lot. They did stuff over the top. They had dropped coverage in front of him. He just was never open. But what Patrick Mahomes did, he went the other way. He went to the other two tight ends on the other sideline. And he threw to the second and third wide receivers. And what happened? Those guys made plays, made plays. And Steve Wilkes had to change things. And then Kelsey caught seven passes after that. So that's, you know, that is one lasting picture of that Super Bowl of Kelsey venting on Andy Reid. You know, and, and obviously what happened is Wednesday, the, the tragedy there in Kansas City, it's just horrific. And I, I assume life north of the border in Canada is really different as it relates to guns. But we our, our country has such a horrific situation with guns, illegal weapons, with fentanyl. I mean, we're, we're a country that's got enormous problems here. And, you know, all the people are now screaming uh, about right to guns. We need to change the law. And then, then the, the people who own guns say, I have a right under the Second Amendment to bear arms, to have guns. Well, that's true. But there has to be a line in which if you're trying to buy something and you have a felony conviction on your record or you're trying to buy something, there's a history of mental health issues, maybe you should not be allowed to buy guns. You know, Mikey, you can own a gun, if there's no situations on your resume, but half our society's got problems and got access to guns. And, you know, they just they're about to charge these two 15 year olds with first degree murder in Kansas City. I believe they were gang members. This was a gang incident. What's a 15 year old have access to an AR-15? They found an AR-15 against the fence where these guys were taken down. It's it's a terrible situation this side of the border. Maybe it's a little bit different for you people in Canada. So. That's that's a lasting memory of this tragedy, too, and what just happened in Kansas City to all those innocent people. Yeah, that was uh, really sad to see thoughts with the victims, uh, with the victims on that one. And shout out to the Good Samaritans who made the tackle. And we should note they did have a GoFundMe and Taylor Swift stepping up to donate one hundred thousand dollars, passing the goal of seventy five thousand there. So. And the Kansas City Chiefs have just started a, a foundation fundraising for all those families who were impacted, not not just the, the family who had the radio announcer who died, but, you know, the 29 other people who've been wounded. So, I mean, I got into an unbelievable argument on my podcast on Monday just about this, this I'm sorry, on Thursday, about this storyline, and somebody was barking at me. I have a right to own a gun. I said, yeah, well, those eight and nine and 12-year-olds who got wounded in the crossfire, they have a right to go to a, f- a festivity to cheer on the Kansas City Chiefs without getting wounded. So it's, it's an argument that will go on and on until somebody in our government and Congress does something 
to change it. And that hasn't seemingly happened at all. And I just, I can't stand when these politicians stand up in Congress and say prayers and thoughts. Prayers and thoughts don't solve the Kansas City situation or Denver or Orlando or Connecticut or Pittsburgh or where all these other shootings and killings of innocent people have taken place. Don't mean to talk politics, but it's kind of, they intersected with the Super Bowl guns and all that this week. So tough. It's been tough down here. For sure. Well, we appreciate your time. Well, uh, you know, can let the people know where to find more of your work uh, on your website and on your podcast also live after us on YouTube uh, Mondays and Thursdays. Well, you like sports? Check my website. It's all written. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And I have all the different pages of all the different things I write. And then there's a link to my podcast on YouTube channel. Like you guys who have become a raging success in Canada, we're kind of doing the same thing out here on the West Coast. So give a, give a listen to my uh, podcast and check out my website every morning because it's written and it's absolutely free. Lee, thank you so much uh, for your time. Appreciate you coming on here with your NFL notebook. Mikey, we go from Super Bowl. Here comes free agency just around the corner. Then we got the draft. So we're moving into the offseason, which is going to be as busy as the regular season is, too. Great to talk to you. Thanks again, and say hi to everybody in Canada. I will do. Thanks again. There's Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. If you want to go right to his YouTube channel, uh, check out the description. Link right there. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton Sports right here on YouTube. Uh, this year, Lee, we're winding the show down. The marble race is open. Exclamation mark marbles in chat. I see people uh, already putting it in. I believe I did. I start the giveaway. I thought I did. Oh, maybe it didn't work. Let me just double check this. See people typing it. Yes, we already have 143 entries. Remember, if you are here typing exclamation mark marbles, make sure you're hitting the thumbs up. I see we got 180 of those. Can we get to 200? It there, you know, we're closing in on 11k YouTube subs. We're gonna have a big push to get that before our three year anniversary on March 8th. Yes, the NHL uh, trade deadline day. I see Sammy Smokes BBQ typing exclamation mark marbles. What up, Sammy Smokes? Thanks for becoming a member of the channel as well. Get that little microphone beside your name and your name in green. I'm gonna bring back Connor shortly, but we're gonna wind it down. I got one more. Special guest, uh, the Winnipeg Sea Bears have been announcing a couple signings. We had uh, Mike Taylor on a couple weeks ago. Just talk about uh, the upcoming schedule was announced last week. Teddy Buckets, uh, Teddy Allen, CEBL MVP was on the show. But how about uh, the first ever Winnipeg Sea Bear, Winnipeg Zone, Beast from the River East, Chad Posthumous announced yesterday he's going to be back for another season and chad joins me right now chad how's it going and uh back with the sea bears uh one more season have to be pretty excited for that really excited yeah i know it's uh it's an awesome opportunity obviously to be here back home playing with them um feels like just a couple days ago we were here chatting about the first year and we're already in year two now so it's uh yeah it's really exciting really grateful for the opportunity and uh just see how the season unfolds here yeah, I mean, last year we were the first player signed by the team. I mean, just looking back almost a, a year later now, I mean, how did last year go compared to expectations? Um, it was it was really good. Obviously, we uh, ended up finishing, I think, tied in the or top of the league in, uh, at the end of the season there. Had a, had a tough go in the, the first round of playoffs, though, which was 
not not ideal, obviously, but uh, but something we're looking to improve on. Um, already got a lot of uh, a lot of good guys, a lot of big names coming coming in here that we uh, we obviously can't all talk about now. But uh, but it's like shaping up to be really special again this year. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, the crowd there for the first one at uh, Canada Life Center. We mentioned names: Teddy Allen, MVP. They announced that he's back last week. Seems like yeah. con- continuity really important for head coach Mike Taylor. And I mean, how does how important is that for you as a player as well? Yeah, that's right. You get a you get a base of guys that you can kind of kind of build around and then add pieces to and move move them around in and out. And that's it's important, right? Because then you got get a little bit of camaraderie already going. You're not kind of changing everything up year after year, and it uh, definitely helps with just on the court, off the court, and just making a transition, especially with a new franchise, easier than kind of piecing guys in and out every year, as we see a lot of other teams in the CFL and in the CBL do. Yeah, I was really impressed. You guys ran pretty much the same group all year, and you know, other teams moving guys in and out. I guess it's really important for, I mean, a first-year team for everyone to come together and become, become a team, because starting off, you're just a bunch of individuals. Yeah, literally. Um, and it's, it's literally what it is. And especially in a season as short as ours, right? You only have just over three months in, in total together. Um, so it's, it's not a lot of time. So being able to have the continuity throughout the season is, uh, is huge. Just having, I think last year we made, I think, one or two roster moves. And those were just guys that came late. There weren't any really changes. And that's, that's big time. I know because you get a lot of guys going in and out for, for various reasons, coming late from other seasons, leaving early, um, as we kind of had at the end of last season, unfortunately, with EJ. But uh, but it's, it's the nature of the business, right? So you kind of deal with it as it comes. And uh, and it was great that we had a lot of guys that were able to stay the whole year. Yeah, it was uh, awesome to see. I think you really got to know the players. And we saw that incredible atmosphere for the the playoff game there and and throughout the throughout the season. And you mentioned other leagues. Um, you were just talking with Teddy Allen last week. He's in England. What have you been doing since the season ended? So I decided this year not to uh, to play actually five on five over the I guess you could say the regular season. Mm-hmm. I uh, started playing three on three actually with Team Canada. Um, and then, uh, and then a professional club team as well. So we uh, we're looking towards the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament, which is at the beginning of May in uh, Hungary, actually. And then, depending on how our results in that go, if we're uh, placed in the top three out of sixteen teams, we'd actually be moving on to the Olympics this summer. So that's kind of been my goal and what I've been training for, just off the court, um, four, five, six times a week, um, getting ready for that. Played in the America Cup with Team Canada. We lost in the quarterfinal there to uh, to a tough Brazil team on a on a last second uh, beating the shot clock three for them to to push it to overtime, and then they beat us by two in overtime, unfortunately. But uh, but that's been what I've been up to playing three on three, kind of focused on that, and hopefully the Olympics this summer. I know I'd miss a couple Seabears games with that if if we do win that ter- Olympic qualifying tournament, but. But at the end of the day, it is the Olympics, right? So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I follow you on Instagram, Chad uh, dot posthumous. I mean, this three on three seems to be really taking off. It just started at the Olympics recently. I mean, what's the other than the number number of players? But in terms of the game, I mean, how different is it from your standard basketball? It's yeah, it's 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 
it's basketball, right? But it's yeah. a completely different game. Threes are worth two. Twos are worth one. Um, it's only 10-minute game, so one quarter essentially. And you're, you're playing nonstop. There's really the transition is you're going from offense to defense within a second. You could be getting scored. You could be scoring a bucket and then getting scored on two seconds later, which is uh, it's really it's really fast paced, high energy. It's really physical. I know you have that clip there. You see me. You see me get the alley oop and then I'm, I'm back on defense guarding this guy within within a second here. Right. Um, you got to be ready to do that. You got to be moving quick, but they do let you play a lot more physical in it, which is is really good for my game type, especially because if you, you if you double anybody, then you're getting a kick out for an open three, right? And me playing one on one against pretty much anybody is uh, is a tough bet, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. How do you get involved? How do they uh, Team Canada give you a call to join the three on three? Because this is, I mean, did they have a, t- a team in the last uh, Olympics there for three on three? I actually don't. Uh, we weren't in the last Olympics, yeah. so it was they tested it out. I think uh, two Olympics ago, and last year was the first one that it was an official sport. Okay, um, we were pretty close. I, I think our team is currently we're top like fifteen, twenty in the world. So similar to where Canada basketball five on five team was last year before uh, this World Cup uh, that we did so well in finishing third. Um, but yeah, it's been improving every year. Um, adding guys like myself added a nice, a big piece that we, they didn't have before and a bigger guy. Um, and then kind of transitioning over from the five on five that I was playing with for all the world cup qualifiers in the America cup last year. Um, it was, uh, it was just, yeah, it was a smooth transition. That's sweet. That's something we'll have to follow you all, you know, with the sea bears and with team Canada, I do have to give you a happy belated birthday. Hey, much appreciated. Earlier this week, big celebrations taking place. It was uh, it was pretty quiet actually. I just just got back. I was doing did a bit of traveling for uh, for kind of a, a nice little did last couple months of training plus the America Cup. So I took a week off here, did some travel with some friends, and then uh, and then got back here, locked in for my birthday. I was ready, grinding <laughs> back on. Literally landed back home here on the tenth and was was going on the twelfth in the morning. Wow, and you're a guy who travels a lot, traveled all over the world for basketball. I mean, for our listeners out there, got any uh, big travel tips? Maybe that's a go-to for you to make it go smooth? Travel tips, I don't know, man. If you're, uh, oh, there's a lot of them, right? <laughs> oh, you got to, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you mine. Yeah. I always, you got to take a portable charger. I'm not going to be one oh, of those people. I'm not going to be one of those people looking for an outlet. You see them sitting on the floor charging their phones i just feel bad for them portable get charger. People, i get to you see those people on instagram that put the the stickers of the outlets on the wall and like oh that's hilarious and then people are going to plug in i've seen that in real life somebody actually go to plug it into a fake outlet before it's hilarious <laughs> oh man that's a good prank i've never seen that but uh oh they're, they're hilarious it's ridiculous though but yeah it's man it's life or death out there if you don't get your phone right um, that's a good one i'm a big neck pillow guy man you need a neck pillow oh, especially on long flights you got three or four connections oh man you need one of those man three or four and you're a tall guy too i mean sitting in those seats gotta be gotta be kind of rough. yeah i always i always uh if I'm not sitting in like the uh, what's premium economy or wh- whatever, the fake business class that we yeah. have on West Mayor Canada. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I'm not sitting there, I always go exit row. Cause you get the, you get the extra leg room um, there for, for being taller. Right. 
so they uh they they usually accommodate me with that so it's nice oh that's that's pretty nice and i've only ever been bumped off of one flight actually um surprisingly because i was too big and i didn't fit in the seat and i was like well i'm just not gonna be i can be able to fly eight hours from or ten hours from brazil to uh toronto in a normal seat so they uh they but they put me uh i don't know how i got on that one the team i guess booked the flight late or something like that when i was getting sent home and it was it was not ideal so they uh they were they were kind enough to put me in in business class on the next flight that i was bumped off of uh, that's yeah that's a problem that i don't think i'll uh, i'll ever have to deal with but uh nice of them to be able to accommodate you uh, yeah, i pre- appreciate it thank you Air canada there we go <laughs> Maybe so, give me a free flight out of it. <laughs> so looking ahead, what's your what's your schedule like here as we approach Sea uh, Bears training camp and the upcoming season? So I've been going with uh, Sport for Life there with uh, yeah. fabulous trainer Jeff Wood. He's uh, the head trainer there, and then the rest of their team. Um, they've been great. I've been going with them three or four days a week, kind of doing an hour and a half, two hour workout every day. Some cardio plyos, just strength and conditioning. Um, so do that three or four days a week. And then I've been working with Mike Rainbow at, uh, head coach at university of Winnipeg and his, uh, his assistant coaches there. They've been, they've been awesome putting me through individual workouts for 45 minutes to an hour, hour 15 every day, um, four days a week, at least kind of, kind of staying in basketball shape, getting ready, um, for all of that. Plus, uh, plus I'm a big sauna guy Hit the sauna a couple days a week for at least 30 minutes. That's a nice little bit of cardio there too. Keeps me keeps me nice and trim too. There you go, hitting the cold plunges. I see those on uh, on Instagram as well. Big cold plunge guy. I'm actually I'm not a cold plunge guy. I'm not with the fat on that, but uh, yeah. but I've been taking. I take a cold shower, so like I'll have my normal shower, and then the last two or three minutes, yeah. like as cold as the water in the shower can go. Ooh. I've been doing that for probably. <laughs> The better part of 10 years now, actually. So I've been doing that for a while. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I could. I've done the cold plunge as a thing, but it's it's tough, man. You should try it. If you can, if you can, if you have the mental fortitude to get through that, that cold shower there for two or three minutes, you yeah. can, you, you can do anything. If you can't, the way I see it is if you can't do that, it's like, how am I going to get a free throw when there's nine seconds left if I can't even focus on <laughs> the cold there, right? Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, I'll I'll have to try it. I'll have to try it. And It's maybe- tough, it's, especially when you start, but at the, at, at the point after that, it'll be like, I'll be getting out of the shower sometimes and I, I'll forget to go and I'll be like, hey, what am I doing? What feels weird here now? And then I'll hop back in there and I'll just get my, finish my little regimen. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, <laughs> you mentioned doing all this training. Is there any... Any basketball skill that you're kind of working on that you that you're really trying to improve? I mean, is there even anything after being a pro for so many years? Yeah, like I, I guess you could say the mainstay of what I do is rebounding, and I've always been just really high level at that and good at that. So that's that's kind of what I just bring to the table all the time. Um, but I've been working on my my mid range jumper, extending my shot out a little bit, um, doing a lot of that with with Coach Mike with uh, with that plus cardio, um, just in between. So working on got to do hit some hit some hit some threes from the quarter, and then you got to hit a certain amount. Plus you're running in between every one of them, and you're getting pretty tired. So it takes me takes me a lot longer than it probably should sometimes, but it's definitely helping to work on uh, improving my shot there. It's kind of funny, like, has basketball, since you started, changed? Because, you know, big men used to not be a guy who would take long-range 
jumpers, but I think you can blame what the Golden State Warriors for kind of changing 100%. basketball. Like blame Draymond Green, right, for being the big guy who can shoot. Especially in, in our league, in the CBL, right? It's such a fast-paced, high level of basketball that's it's a little different than a lot of European leagues or leagues with a traditional big guy like myself. Like mm-hmm. a guy, there's a lot of big guys in our league that are 6'8 to 6'9, maybe weigh like 225, 230, whereas I'm 6'11, 275, 280. Um, there's, there's, there's only a few of us in this league and, and the G League as well because it's so fast-paced and up and down. Um, versus a league like Japan or Europe or South America where they have more traditional big guys or even in the NBA where they they slow it down, right? And here we're showcasing talent, guys' athleticism, their shooting ability, and it's uh, it can be tough at times. So kind of working on extending that range out there to be a part of the system a little better, fixing my quickness, cardio, working on all that so I can I can be able to be there on defense switching out on they're smaller four man or five man, so I'm not a, as much of a liability, I guess you could say, in, in our league as I wouldn't be in another league. Cool. Well, it's pretty, it's cool how um you know there's so many different leagues around, and you mentioned the game is different, and you're you know, doing five on five, but also the three on three on three. So, uh, mm-hmm. Ch- Chad, thanks for the great conversation and, and your insight. We're looking forward to the start of uh, the Sea Bears season and. I don't know, any other words for all, all the Sea Bears fans out there before we yeah, get going? Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be exciting. I know I've had a, a ton of conversations with friends, family, just people in the community, and just uh, the engagement we had last year. And it's crazy how many people weren't even at these games that I'm like, oh, they thought they were going to catch one. But you gotta you got to realize season's quick, right? It's three months. So if you can come on, come on out, come enjoy it. Um, I think we start on, what, May 24th there at Canada Life Centre here. So. Yep. We play against, uh, who do we play against? Scarborough, I think. So the champion from last year. So it'll be a really good game there uh, on the 24th. But yeah, get, get out there. Get out to some of these games because it's, uh, it's quick in and out. Yeah, yeah, season's quick, but a lot of fun and uh, some great crowds there at Canada Life Centre. Chad, thanks again uh, for your time today. Appreciate it. Congratulations on uh, your new deal with the Sea Bears. Much appreciated. Thank you. See you out at these games. There he is, Chad Posthumus of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, and he's also going for the Olympics in three-on-three basketball, representing Team Canada. So pumped for Sea Bears season coming up, uh, well, this summer in the home opener, May 24. Uh, So such a great atmosphere last year. What are they going to bring for year two? And they've already announced that he's coming back. And Teddy Allen, do they have more? Uh, player news to come or they do have more player news to come we'll stay tuned and uh, bring you that information uh, here we're winding down the show do want to get let everyone know hey we got the uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk newsletter sign up if you missed any of the great content this week we do send out a weekly you know, weekly notice in your inbox saying hey this is uh, the stuff that we missed also have some great contest information as well we are giving away Manitoba Moose tickets right now, winnipegsportstalk.com slash contest. And also AEW tickets will be given away uh, to come. So link in the description, what on the podcast or here on YouTube or go to winnipegsportstalk.com and switch to the bottom. Bring it in as we wind, call, last call for the marble race, last call. We got 230 entries and 224 likes on this video so shout out to everyone and shout out to uh sam crow 
Uh, for the big super chat, he says, TGIF everyone, go Jets go. Great job this week, says Rod Z. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. And here, I'll bring a noted uh, cold shower guy, uh, Connor Ravchek, as I got to switch your name there. Con- noted cold shower. Are you a big cold shower guy, Connor? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a big cold shower guy. Maybe more so in the summer for sure. Um, I'll do like the cold plunge at Thermea, like the two times I've been there, um, just because I feel like you have to do it at least once. But no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't label myself a cold shower guy. Would, would you label yourself? No, I can, he's like, yeah, do it. It puts hair on your chest. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can like the last two minutes. I might have to try it, but I think it would wake definitely wake you up for sure. But I don't know if I don't know if I could do it, man. Nothing. Yeah, like if you're taking a 8 a.m. shower, like starting your day, get a cold shower. It's like having coffee. It's like wakes you up. But I, I can't bring myself to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'd rather do then? If we have have coffee here, I got my uh, got my jumbo sized mug here, ready to rock. Gets me through the day. But here we are winding down the show. I'm gonna put a pause on the marble. I gotta put them in. But I did forgot to mention it is CFL free agency week, and uh, Rashid Bailey tweeted out his goodbye to Winnipeg on Instagram, and uh, Paul Friesen had a nice write up in the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, Rashid Bailey put on his Instagram and Twitter at Showtime Sheed. It's been a hard couple of days. Saying goodbye would hurt me too much. My heart can only take. See you later. As I try to hold back the tears, I can only hope I left a special place in people's hearts. Winnipeg, you changed my life. I love you forever. Heart 88. Heartfelt message there from Rashid Bailey, Connor, uh, Spent some great years with the with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a receiver, but just can't keep everyone under the current state of the salary cap. Yeah, and you know they bring back Dalton Schoen and Brady Oliveira and Kenny Lawler still here and Nick Dembski still still here. So the the fourth or fifth option on this offense, unfortunately, ends up being a cap casualty. And the worst part about it is Rashid Bailey is just an A plus human being. I mean, he's a motivational speaker. Um, I, I've had a few interactions with him at at events, at dinners that bomber players have been at. He's always been super respectful, introduces himself to everyone at the event, um, and just just an A plus human being. So it it is tough to see him go um, due to just salary cap reasons. The, the bombers, you bring back your two best offensive players who everyone thought was leaving. Um, this is going to happen, and uh, it 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 sucks that it had to be him because he's he's an unbelievably awesome human being. Yeah, if you want to stay tuned with everything Rashid's up to, uh, check him out on social media. He's got a podcast. You mentioned great speaker as well. He's been a great guest on this program and played some great ball for the Bombers. You know, he'd wa- he wants to come back, but they just don't have uh, the salary cap room. It's tough, but uh, the Bombers did make a signing today. We talked yesterday, or I did, with Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com. But that, that's a spot on the O-line. They signed experienced offensive lineman Eric Lofton. Spent 15 games last season. He started 14 of them with Saskatchewan. He's looking to battle for the right tackle spot. To six foot four, 293 pounds, 30 years old. Played college at Temple from uh, 2011 to 2015, and he's actually here in 2022. Dan Ralph of the Canadian Press says he was one of the top offensive linemen uh, on the open market. So Eric Lofton coming in at all. Oh, well, you got to have a good. OL to uh, protect the quarterback and uh, help out the run game. So 
We'll see how that one, how that one shakes out, Connor. Yeah, and Kolaros, you know, he does have the ability to extend plays with his legs, but when you can just create kind of a bubble around him and have him throw to these all-world receivers that he has on the outside, it makes things a lot easier. And you talked about the run game. Brady Oliveira, in his press conference, he'd be the first to say it. A lot of his success does come from the O-line. You got to solidify that. And then Brady can, you know, fight for yards after contact and things like that. So um, a a good signing. I'm not familiar with the player, but bolstering the um, O-line is a good signing in itself because of those reasons I mentioned there. Yeah, we thought they were going to go with uh, some rookies. I talked with Ed yesterday about Liam Dobson and Tua Eli. Well, we'll see how it shakes out here in training camp. And I'm just getting set for the marbles. We did, you know, David mentioned in terms of NHL. Gonna be watching those stadium series games. Did you even did you know there was a stadium series game <laughs> this weekend? Uh, no, MetLife Classic NHL. MetLife yeah. Stadium. Devils, Flyers, Rangers, Islanders are all playing. I don't know who's playing who. I know there's a game each day. I don't know anything about them. I think outdoor games. Uh, I think it's like a local thing. But then I saw Flyers fans were, or Flyers were giving away tickets. I know the Jonas Brothers are involved. Are you big Jonas? Brothers guy, you got a favorite Bills Big brother? Jonas, no. Nick no. Jonas? They were in Winnipeg. They were in Winnipeg recently. And a lot of people enjoyed that concert that I know that went to it. Um, but no, I, I believe it's Rangers Islanders and it's Flyers Devils. Okay. Both in MetLife. Um, and I did not know about it until <laughs> I saw a photo of Anders Lee. Like, you know how the, the players like throw a football in the yeah. football stadium? It's like a warm up thing. Um, they oh, we know. posted a photo of him like throwing a football, and it's like Anders Lee is ready to go. And I saw this like Thursday or Wednesday, and I was like, "Is this game tonight?" And I'm just now figuring out about it. But no, it's Sunday. Um, and yeah, there's the two games there. I actually kind of like the jerseys. The Rangers jerseys, I think, are some of the nicest um, stadium series jerseys that they've introduced at least this year or in recent years. So I'm excited now that I actually know that they're happening. Um, and yeah, I believe those are Sunday or the. Rangers Islanders game is Sunday. I'm not sure when the other one is. Yeah, I, I honestly, like I've heard of Rangers Islanders is Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Flyers Devils is Saturday at seven. Yes, Sunday at two at two p.m. So uh, it's exciting stuff. Another outdoor game, and they did release those special jerseys. And we're talking about stuff to watch tonight: NHL Carolina Coyotes. We have PWHL, Toronto, Montreal, and how could we forget uh, the Scotties' turn of hearts with Manitoba's Kerry Einerson and uh, Jennifer Jones taking part. Uh, exciting to see that. And it's actually back on, it's funny you mentioned, yeah, you know how they warm up and play football in the field? We do remember because it was Mason Appleton yes. who got injured before the Heritage Classic. The Heritage Classic. So, uh, so there, there we go. I do remember that. I do remember that. Now that you, uh, now that you bring that up, that was, uh, that was the, was that the Calgary one that was in Saskatchewan? That's or correct. Or was that the one that was here? That was yeah, the one in Saskatchewan. I remember going to that game. That was one of my favorite moments. You were there? Uh, I was there. Yeah, oh, the, the family went. It was, it was fun. It's one of my favorite moments as a, as a previous Jets fan back in 2019. There, um, I was scared that they weren't going to score, and then they scored. Uh, a uh, power play goal with five minutes left. I think it was Morrissey and then Brian Little in overtime. That was that was an awesome game, awesome uh, venue for a hockey game. Yeah, you mentioned as a Jets fan, as you've moved into the role of Big J 
journal. Yeah, I've got to tone that down a little bit now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here, it's time for the marble race. I'm going to get the marble sign. We don't have a Jonas Brothers version, unfortunately, in honor of in honor of the Jonas Brothers at the Stadium Series. I do have uh, the Backstreet Boys Bon Jovi matchup, but you know what? Let's go with the original. Here's Tristan Rivers. It's We got 238 marbles in there in the list. So uh, people are saying we need one for Kenny Plain and Jerry James. People are saying, didn't Jennifer Jones retire after after this one from women's competition? Here, I, I, already, I already have it loaded. I can't add. You know what? It's late. We're trying to run the marbles. I'm, I'm doing too many things here. So I'm just going to run it. But shout out to everyone who's still here, hanging out on a Friday. I got to put this podcast up after. Oh, here it is. Marble for me. No, no, no. My marble is getting to be here with you guys. I don't need an actual. Um, so let me just make sure that they're all still in there. One second. I'll got to make sure I load the correct ones. Because, you know, we've had weeks where I load the wrong ones. And yes, 238 marbles. I'm hitting the Temple of Steve. And the winner gets a Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie. I still have to do last week's last week's uh, winner to tell them you know, that we have their size in stock. Anyways, here we are, Temple of Steve. We did Slippery Slopes last week. Here we go. Everyone says, marble for the Ottawa Slapper. Connor, are you still in here? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the slap shot heard around the world on an empty net. I hope we get to see, yeah, we did see some taunting yesterday. Maybe you're allowed to taunt now on empty netters. It's fair game. Uh, I don't know, but anyways, here's, here's the uh, marbles. We're off into the funnel. There's a lot. Did Wait, did we do Temple of Steve last week? Oh, we did it? Oh, well. Did we do it last week? Oh, oh well. We can do the same one in back-to-back. It's a good track. Anyways, they're going through the funnel here. Keith, we got a, let's see who comes out. Oh, there's Phyllis, Eric Jorleafson coming out the funnel into this uh, figure eight here. Here, and then we'll see who comes out. So many marbles in here, 238. Going for the Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie. Phyllis, she gets through. There's Eric. They're all slamming that barrier. Only one 
can come out in first. Splitting down this fork in the road. Eric's leading one way. Lisa Foster the other way. And they're going to go down this ramp. Reminds me of uh, Winnipeg Stadium where you had to walk down those winding coils. You know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Phyllis in number one. Who's on there? David Asplund on the other side. They're going to meet in the middle here for this long path towards the end. Call it like a horse race. I think I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm too chill for this one. But Phyllis, is she, couldn't you go wire to wire? Jared Hill, T-Steps, K-6000, and Eric Jorlifson, he's been in there. But Phyllis, she's been in there. There's T-Steps and K-6000. Going down this staircase at the end, the slide, uh, reminds me of uh, the old slides at Wet n' Wild. And here she goes. One way, there's Phyllis and T-Steps, but is Temple Steve. You got to land on the platform. Who will it be first? Patrolman Pete, he's bounced. Kyle and T-Steps. Oh, Kyle! Just missed it. Corio, Jeff Doran. Who's going to be? Eric Jorleafson is the winner on this one. Oh, there he is. John D. Second, Frosty. Third, Captain Phil. Fourth, Ray Ray. Fifth, Johnny Bender. Sixth, Jeff Doran. Seventh, Tarek Schmidt. Eighth, Presley Tarnowski. Nine, and Marshall Karan. Ten. It was Phyllis's to win, but the Temple of Steve claimed her. Almost got it, and it was Eric. And here's all the marbles. Falling off the track. I did not realize we did this one last week. I do like this one, although some people may not be a fan of the finish, but shout out to Eric for taking down the marble race. Way to go. And there's John D and Frosty second and third. There's Ken 007, Elias McCracken. Finishing it off. What a marble race there, Connor. Hey, some serious suspense. You never know what the temple... How did Phyllis finish? Did she, even, did she even make it into the little bowl there? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one. Well, I guess that's it for us. I'll scroll down. I guess I got to recognize the side bets. There's Ross Ransby and Bozeman finishing back-to-back. -back. Ross Ransby winning by point... I don't know. Point zero one two over Bozeman. Those two guys have... A side bet with each other each week on the marble race. Um, huh? Who's putting the mute? Manny says mute. I don't think anyone was was muted there. I don't think so. I think maybe it's you who's muted. You got to make sure. There's Sam Crowe, the Super Chat Cam thing. Dan Jets fan in there. He's saying rabbit. Connor, I, I don't think you're muted, are you? No, you're not. You're not. You're not. I'm. Oh. Oh, you did, I didn't have you in the thing. Okay, yeah, sorry. I didn't have you in this scene. They're right. They're right. That's, that's a me problem. Here, I'll add you in. Okay, you're in the scene now. Okay. All people missed was my riveting commentary about how Phyllis was right there to the end, and then <laughs> the Temple of Steve struck again. That's yes. all, all you missed, people in chat. <laughs> yes. Uh, T. Wells says Temple of Steve hates a... Front here, uh, sorry, hates a front runner. Uh, there's Gregory Liverpool in there, Spency, shout out to Spency, uh, Holy Smoley, Chucker, Ty Petcow. We go down to T Bone, shout out to Russ Lowen, Uncle Zizzo, Doug Phil, 
Stormy, Granny Bomber fan. Shout out to everyone. A couple DNFs there at the end. There. That's it for the show. Connor, big plans this weekend. Big plans for tonight. What's uh, going on in the Rabjack household? Well, tonight, uh, yeah, there's no NHL to watch. So not many plans tonight. Um, going out for dinner. You know, not many NHL plans. So that'll be fun. Um, and then tomorrow... There's a million games because, you know, you can have one game one night and then a million games the next night. So Jets game is at nine. So I'm going to be taking in a full day. I like the matinee games. I believe the Oilers are playing the Stars at two. I said earlier in the week that the Oilers are probably my second most watched team um, for another guy named Connor on that team. So mm-hmm. that'll be fun to watch against Dallas in the Central Division and then just killing time until the Jets play the Canucks. And then Sunday recording Winnipeg Jets Weekly, episode 17, uh, which will be out Monday morning. Um, and will serve as a replacement for um, Huss and Remus, who are taking the day off Louis Real Day. But I will be recording it Sunday, and then Remus will be posting it Monday. We'll have Stay on the for that. We'll have it here. And uh, yeah, so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and on YouTube. The notification bell will have, yes, Winnipeg Jets Weekly. Thank you, Connor, uh, for mentioning that. And people have been asking, we have to mention the biggest story as we wind down is 327. Uh, as we wind down, the biggest story in Major League Baseball this this training camp, spring training, the new uniforms. Uh, players not happy with Nike and Fanatics over the new uniforms. Some saying they look like a replica, look like a cheap imitation. Connor, are you a jersey guy? And uh, what do you, what do you make of this? Big jersey guy, and as you can see there on the the article you showed, like the the jerseys they're wearing, there just look printed. Looks like it, it does yeah. look cheap. It does look like a replica. Like they're right, yeah. Like what are we doing here? Like there used to be a, there used to be a standard for these type of things, <laughs> and uh, here comes Fanatics just to ruin it all. And need I remind people that Fanatics will be taking over the NHL's jersey um, manufacturing in. Or, or maybe they already have. I'm not 100 percent sure. Next on that. year, next year, next the year. NHL jerseys uh, right. are going to be done by Fanatics. They're just taking over the Adidas factory, but doesn't give you a lot of confidence. Where on the left here, this is uh, my beloved Seattle Mariners, this is Logan Gilbert jersey, really nice, big lettering, a perfect white. They got the MLB logo placed nicely over that little collar, and then on the right side, it looks like a giveaway jersey that you get for free. The numbers screen printed on. The names are way too small. Uh, the patch no longer embroidered. It's just worse quality, and they're charging you more money. So thankfully, I still have my Ichiro jersey that's lasted me, uh, I don't know, since the rookie season, so 23, 23 years. So I think I'm, I think I'm good for jerseys uh, for a I while. Think, I think you're, but this, yeah, is, this I, is disappointing, Connor. It is. And and people in chat like it's your boy it's your boy Bruce saying ten year deal with the NHL like that's scary. Um, Dan saying those jerseys look like jerseys. Um, I'm not a jersey owner, you know, like the shirts that look like a jersey. I like um, have a couple, shirts. but I agree with that statement. That's what it looks like. And the players, sat, yeah, the players sounding off, not happy with the pants. Uh, the, I don't know they're trying to make it this material, but the design of the names and the numbers. I mean, these are the jerseys, not fan. I mean. Some of them are fan jerseys, but the, f- the jerseys players are wearing. Where's the, I mean, this is from an article in The Athletic. I mean, this uh, Miles Michaelis 
jersey. This doesn't look like pro a pro jersey. Like so they're changing the colors. They move the MLB logo down. The names are too small and very curved. Uh, the numbers are not like that stitched on quality we've seen. So Fanatics taking another L, and this, I think this is a story to the story to follow to uh, as we go on in the MLB season because it will affect NHL jerseys next year, and all eyes are going to be on the Fanatics. And I see Travis saying CCM jerseys are better. I'm a big fan of the. Uh, CCM jerseys from the 90s and the early 2000s, Coho uh, CCM. Even the Reebok ones were better. I, I don't have any of the new Adidas, and I do have bought a couple Fanatics jerseys on sale. And I, I mean, the logos are, they're not the nice embroidered logos that you used to get. They're like screen, screen printed uh, logos. So a lot of people not ha- happy with Fanatics taking some L's on the week. Like, if Fanatics jerseys are going to look like this and that's what they're going to sell them as, like an MLB jersey, why wouldn't I go buy a knockoff Vladimir Guerrero Jr. jersey and just roll with that? Like, it's it's basically the same thing. I don't know. It, like, there's no difference between, like, the cheap and the really nice jerseys that are, like you said, the NHL jerseys that used to be, like, super stitched and really good quality. And um, if if this change that we're seeing in the MLB doesn't get rectified, first of all, soon and it carries over into the nhl then yeah we've got a real problem on our hands yeah the players are taking it to the pa taking it straight to nike although they've put out a couple videos like resembling hostage videos like jason hayward defending those jerseys on the dodgers uh, twitter <laughs> account so we'll have to see this is a story to watch as it you know it's affecting uh, the mlb players but fanatics is taking over the nhl jerseys starting next season for the next uh, next 10 years. So it's, uh, hey, I, people are asking me. I'm a big Jersey guy. Wanted to bring uh, wanted to bring that one up. And uh, as we wind it down, hey, it's Friday. Connor, thanks for all your help this week. Appreciate it. And uh, check out Jets Weekly here on this channel. It's at, uh, yes, Monday morning. And, Monday. And Monday. we need a win. It's only two games. So you're, gonna, you're hoping for a win, a win on Saturday. Need right? a win. Although, they did. They did beat San Jose, but yeah, a win on Saturday would be nice for the Jets weekly, um, having only two games to talk about. But thanks for having me on three times this week, Remus. You did a great job hosting and running things behind the scenes. So hats off to you. Great work. Yeah. No. Thank you very much uh, for all your help. And that's it. Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, thank you everyone for uh, for coming out. I appreciate it, and we'll see you on. Tuesday again. Bye-bye. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.